may be some moderate level of spoilage going on in the podcast. Okay. There may be some light spoilage going on. Wow, well, I think we're just going to go with super spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just forget the whole idea. You guys are hard to work with. There is much still to learn about these fascinating eating plants. This is a newcomer, Trifidus celestus, brought to Earth on the meteorites during the day of the Trifids. <laughs> problem is is that he's actually right <laughs> and we don't want to admit that he's right just because the whole world's going crazy doesn't mean come have a little bit of fun well welcome back to take me to your reader discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst i'm seth i'm james and i'm colin and we come finally to episode 10 which we're going to consider the end of season one of take me to your reader and hopefully you've been with us this whole time if not we encourage you to go back and check out the previous nine episodes. And I think it's appropriate in kind of ending our season to circle back around to one of the movies that kind of sparked the whole idea. And that movie is The Day of the Triffids from 1962, which is based on a book. And I found out it was based on a book from a book blogger that I follow. And once I found that out, and I had seen the 1962 film, uh, my dad had showed it to me when I was probably like a tween or something, and I thought it was just fabulously cheesy. And when I kind of came on the idea of doing cheesy science fiction movies adapted from books, Day of the Triffids was right at the top of the list for me. So I had always wanted to do it, but um, I can't remember why we haven't done it till now other than James not reading it. Right. But I think that was pretty much it. <laughs> Might have been it. And the fact that there's only one copy. <laughs> At the public library, yes. and we all shared it at certain yeah. times. Yeah. No, I bought my own. That did not help. You did totally steal the copy I was trying to start reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, well, one of the other reasons was I think we wanted to start with stuff that was more well-known. Because while Day of the Triffids, oh, I think, sure. is, a, is a very influential book and even film, uh, I don't think it's as well-known today as, as a lot of other kind of classic stuff, like The Day of the Earth Still and Planet of the Apes that we started with. Right. Yeah. So... I think this one's definitely more in the obscure category, but that's one of the reasons that we're doing this, right? To try and get people to check out some of these books that they didn't maybe know about. And like, I didn't know about the other adaptations of The Day of the Triffids before we started investigating this. I think I knew about the more recent one. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's more popular overseas, just not here in the States. Yeah. Uh, it is an English book, so that's certainly possible. And an English film. And an English miniseries. Right. So and another English film. And an English sequel. <laughs> no, another English Oh, no, another English, English miniseries. miniseries. Yes. And yeah. evidently, it's, there's right. some talk of it being remade again. Uh, so let's talk about what we have under consideration for today. We have four things. The 191951 book by John Wyndham. Yes. A British the, book. The uh, 1962, you said? Yes. Film, British, British film. film, movie, et cetera, et cetera. 1981 British BBC miniseries adaptation. Right. About a th it's mm. like a three-hour, six-part kind of thing. Yes. At least that's what it was on Hulu. And then we have a 2009 sort of remake, also from the BBC, three hours. I'm pretty sure it was 1980, not 1981. No, I think it was 1981. So shut up. There is a 2001 <laughs> sequel to the book called <laughs> Night of the Triffids. Which none of us have read. None of us have read. Though at some point I may do it. And if, if I do it, I'll, I'll post the review on the website. So we all read the book. And we all watched separately the two BBC miniseries. Yes. And then we all came together and watched the 1962 film at Colin's house, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, we even had children with us who 
at some point left the room because it, they didn't like it. Within the I first guess. seven or eight minutes. Yeah, yeah they it didn't, didn't take didn't very long. Very long. No. Um, and so we will talk about all of it in turn. And of course, as always, there's going to be spoilers. Um, well, I'm going to go ahead and say super spoiler alert. Okay. Hey, how's that? That's where I was going to ask. Uh, <laughs> what level of spoilers do you think we're going to go? We're going to go major spoilers, medium spoilers, light spoilers. And Colin, what do you think? I'm going with him. Okay. So, um, yeah, this is something I think, I can't remember when I read it, but it was quite a ways back. And then Colin read it, I know. Mm-hmm. And then James slowly poked along and finally, finally read it. it. And, and we will talk about right. what eventually uh, <laughs> made it possible for James to uh, finish the book. What made it possible for me to finish it quicker than Colin. Yes. And that's an accomplishment. It is. Not, not counting in um, real time, but in actual reading time, yes. So, like we said, 1951 book from John Wyndham. Um, just want to talk in general terms about it. I thought it was terrific. Um, yeah. And, I mean, it's really, really well written, beautifully written. Um, I, I found it kind of, it was almost sort of on the edge toward that kind of H.G. Wells dry prose in places. But, you know, kind of Victorian level prose where people didn't have television, so they could write boring stuff and people still thought it was awesome. Um, <laughs> Tolkien. Right. Uh, but, um oh. <laughs> But but it didn't go over to that to like being actually boring and but I did feel like it was the kind of book that if you could really take it in in large lumps then it was much a much better experience because it was so nice so beautifully written that it kind of invited those long periods of reading where other things you know you might be able to read a few pages here and there read a chapter here and then stop um, I didn't feel like it really lent itself to piecemeal reading I don't know if you guys felt that. I would agree just because that's how it worked for me. So I I read it in, you know, a week or something when I finally sat down to do it. And Colin, you probably read it in an afternoon or something. Yeah, it was a long afternoon. Okay. And meanwhile, James kind of read bits and pieces of it. And then... <laughs> took weeks. Then I think your wife went out of town, right? It was right. painful. And so, I read, I read, so I read... The, initially, I tried reading bits and pieces of it from this, the edition I checked out from the library, which happened to be the same edition that Colin requested. So I... Lost my hold on it after about a week or so. And so I grabbed that out from underneath him. Right. <laughs> oh, your hold expired? Yeah, my nice. hold expired. Or your, your lending period guy. expired. My lending period expired, yeah. Nice. And then, uh, so I read like, you know, 40 pages or something and I wasn't impressed. It was mm-hmm. kind of slow going. Yeah. But I think that had to do with the, the actual edition of the book. The font was horrible. That was a tiny font, wasn't it? Yeah. It was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I purchased uh, uh, kind of the 2009 BBC right. adaptation. That edition tie-in. was much easier yeah actually physically to read. Sure. And uh, then my wife went out of town. <laughs> I got bored one Saturday morning slash afternoon. <laughs> and? <laughs> and several Bloody Marys and a few Dark and Stormies later, I finished the book that same evening. <laughs> so you're saying the book reads much better lubed. Yes. I know. That reminds me, I had a quote that I wanted to read from it. So bear with me, I will find it. So while you find it, let me briefly do the plot. Or do you want to briefly do the plot? You go for it. Okay. So so we should mention that um, Colin actually reread it in order to be our expert on it. Well, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Right. So uh, a man wakes up in a hospital, and he's not surrounded by zombies. <laughs> Instead, uh, he has just had an eye operation because he is a triffid farmer, and he has been hit in the eyes by a triffid, and um, so he had eye surgery to save his eyes. Right. And he expected to be woken up in the morning to have his bandages off, and that didn't happen. And the reason it hasn't happened is that the night before... There was a huge global-wide accident, which caused everyone in the world to go blind. 
Yeah, well, we don't know what it was, right? It was some kind of astronomical event. Well, that's open to debate. A or global, a global event. From his perspective, way. as far as they know, it's a meteor shower, right? Yes. Yeah, when he's in the hospital. And he feels like he's completely deprived because he doesn't get to see it, and the whole world does. Right. And it turns out that what's happened is, yeah, everyone in the in the world has gone blind, except for a select hand few who were unable to, you know, who didn't watch this event that happened, right. like a meteor shower. Mm -hmm. And uh, while everyone is being blind, the triffids, which have been cultivated for their highly valuable and nutritious oil, are all escaping. And it turns out the triffids are not only good for oil, but they like to eat people. Right. And so because people are blind, they're now vulnerable to being attacked by triffids. So you have an apocalyptic event and a, you know, a, a big bad kind of coming in and, sure. and taking over the world. Worth mentioning that they're also ambulatory. They're mobile carnivorous. Yeah. And the reason they're called triffids is because they kind of have, they have like three little legs they walk on, right? Yeah, right. three feet. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that's the basis for the story. You know, Bill is our, our main character. His job is to try and, and survive in this post-apocalyptic land with hordes of blind people that are either very antagonistic or needy. Right. And uh, animal, uh, animalistic plants that are trying to eat you. Right. It does kind of make you wonder, actually, how many people would have been outside to see a meteor shower of that type or a comet passing by or whatever. Yeah. I mean... You you often have things in books where you're like, that eh, kind of strains right. credulity to think everybody in the world would be was able to view like this, this. Right? right? Now, I got the impression from the book that it didn't take place over like one single evening. It was something that was a continual thing for a while. Um, no, I guess it was basically it no, no, it was a yeah, single it was while he was, yeah. that's right. Hmm. Now, yeah. he had the bandages that on for several days, but it was just that particular night. Yeah. yeah I, I just, found that How does that wrap all the way around the world? Yeah, and and I guess later on the explanation comes in, right? And we'll talk about that. I, I yeah. found that part a bit incredible. Well, there's never an explanation, but there's a theory. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's different in the 2009 film, and we we will we will discuss yes. that, some of the differences. Right. So, um, yeah, and so then there's the there's the other issue of how do the sighted react to their dwindled numbers? What? How do they? How do they react? What do they do? And you have some people who are like, no, we have to we have to protect the blind. We need we need to support them somehow, and right. they have other people who are like, we can't do anything for them. We have to make sure we can rebuild society, and we're going to rebuild it with entirely new morals. And then you have other groups that are like, nope, we're going to rebuild society based on the Bible or yes. based on traditional morality. And you know, everybody is equally vulnerable to the Triffids, no matter what. So, I had meant to go and sort of research the influence of the book because as we were talking about it on one of our pavement poundings it's it's very similar to any zombie story you've ever heard yeah um right you, you it's 28 days later right you wake up in the hospital and yeah. zombie apocalypse happened or with, or with it's nominally walking slow zombies a, it's right. walking dead to a t <laughs> yeah it kind of is and yeah. and the zombies are even nice and slow right the triffids right. are not, not no. fast moving yeah well yeah, um, yeah in my notes if the zombies had stingers it'd be exactly the same <laughs> right yeah yeah i wrote um, the, the only difference right is is if they if they kill a person they don't come back as a triffid that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. the reproductive process is slightly different. Yeah. But uh, I wrote down that it reminded me of, like, zombies because they're slow, they're shambling and carnivorous. Mm -hmm. And then the theme or the, the motto from The Walking Dead, fight the dead, fear the living. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you're fighting the triffids and fearing all the other survivors, yeah. sighted or not. Yeah, who can you trust? Right. It kind of reminded me a little bit. I don't, I don't think either of you guys have read the, uh, I, I'm going to butcher his name, Jose Saramango. Blindness? Uh, blindness, yeah. Did you, read, did you read that one? Okay. No, we've talked no. about it, though. Okay, there's a movie, too, actually. Um, quite a faithful one, actually. But uh, it's a similar thing where it's what happens to society when most everybody goes blind. Uh -huh. And, you know, basic services would 
go really quickly. And James, you had sent us a link about how long would electricity last right. after <clears throat> the crap comes down. And I don't. I didn't ever actually read it. I confess because I wanted you to talk about it. Oh, fair enough. Okay. So the it, the article just basically discovered. Uh, they discuss the scenario involving zombies, but as we said, sure, it's it's um, a generic apocalypse, right? Generic apocalypse situation, and it kind of depends on a a few things. Uh, first of all, the type of power from the power plant or the fuel source. I mean, um, coal being the most vulnerable, um, and it's uh, interesting to note that they quoted what like fifty percent. Ish, 51% of U.S. energy comes from coal sources. Mm-hmm. And so you, you would say at that point, if that went away, most of America would be without power right. in a matter of hours. Yeah, And the reason being is that the, the coal plants, they're highly dependent on human inter- intervention right. or interaction. Sure. Mostly because the way they store the coal is outside in giant mounds and they have to bulldoze it onto a conveyor belt that takes mm-hmm. it in the, fire, in the furnace. That's nice. just how it is. So it makes it extremely vulnerable to apocalyptic situations right and so certainly in that in that kind of situation places where you needed heating mm-hmm. would right. you'd be hit really hard so, so a yeah. lot of america would be screwed there in a matter yeah. of hours yeah. um they also considered hydro hydroelectric plants uh being fairly reliable a lot of automation going on yeah not to mention your source is water which naturally flows and mm-hmm. so you got days there yeah uh, nuclear power plant was also days because there's a lot of or even weeks mm-hmm because there's a lot of automation involved in there, and your fuel source will last uh, years, right? right? Yeah. Um, and then wind power, but there's not a whole significant amount of wind power in the U.S. But another thing to consider was if you have se- so we have several sources of power, right? You have wind, hydro, coal, mm-hmm. etc. But if enough of one type falls, it'll it'll mess up the whole transmission system, and one enough of it, one type of falls, and it screws up the whole. Power grid and the whole thing's gone. Yeah. So in reality, on a matter of probably days. Yeah. Maybe even hours if we're super unlucky. Yeah. And so in the book. So I mean, in the book, when they, when like things went to hell pretty quickly, it's not too far yeah. from the truth. No, and certainly, I mean, it's set in the fifties, right? Right. And so so the power infrastructure is different. It's probably almost it's entirely probably, based on coal. Right. And and, and not nearly as reliable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. A lot the, of the, stuff the would be manual. Be yeah. Especially, I think England too is a lot, a very big coal. Yeah, um, at least at that time. User, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Um, so in the book, uh, Bill pretty quickly. What, what what amused me was like as soon as he gets out of the hospital. I mean, the hospital is ugly, right? Like his doctor commits suicide, right? Um, right. And and he he has to get out of there, and and he's faced with the decision, right? What do I do? How do I help these people? Do I go to, go and find try and find help? Because he you know he doesn't imagine that he's the only only sighted person around, and so. But the first place that he goes is a pub. <laughs> he like, needs a drink. I, I need right. a drink. And <laughs> and he goes in there, and you know the guy's trying to slowly pickle himself, so he has the courage to go up and carbon monoxide himself with his family or something because they're already dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah. they have gas heat, right? So he can just yeah, yeah. But um, pretty quickly, he runs into Joe Josella, right, and rescues her from a blind person. from a blind person who is trying to exploit her, and. And then they kind of pair up and try to figure out what to do. They want to find. She wants to find her father, if possible. And in the course of things, they find another group of, of sighted. And and that's where you have that first big confrontation with what do we what do we do now? And this group wants to upend the social order, start over, repopulate the species, but without without the old morality. Right? They want to they want to do away with that because. I mean, in a way, it makes a certain sense, right? You you might need to have mm-hmm. if you want to increase the population quickly, you're going to have to have polygamy, right? And 
And from, the idea of throwing that, away the morality wasn't for the sake of changing morality. It was for the expediency of, of repopulating. Right. right. But they, they were also saying you need, you need to get rid of your old um, scruples. Inhibitions. Yeah, yes. in, inhibitions. And, and be okay with, you know, if you're going to take a wife, fine. You can take a sighted wife, but you have to take two blind ones as well. Right. And, and it's kind Which of... Once, once Joe agreed to it, he was on board right away. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's the interesting thing is they, they, they pretty quickly sort of pair up and, and she's okay with being... But of course, none of us would be okay with that ever. No, definitely not. Jeez. Um, and just in terms of sort of gender roles, you know, Joe isn't exactly the strong mm-hmm. butt-kicking chick <laughs> in that way, right? No, but right. uh, you know, in the book, she's infamous. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, um, yeah, because he recognizes her name, right? And so she tells him that she wrote this scandalous mm-hmm. book. It, really, it just had a scandalous title, right? Right. My yeah, it was really just a scandalous what title. Sex is my adventure by Josella Platon. Awesome. Yeah, Sweet. it's a great title. So, and she was. It was pretty popular, I get the impression, and she's trying to live down the title. You know, her family right. is completely humiliated. And, yes. Um, and, and she said it's not as scandalous as the title would suggest. Right. But So then the two of them kind of go through everything together. They go, go to that initial group, and they encounter Coker. Right. And I know I'm doing plot summation, but, but we kind of have to, in, in order to compare it to the other versions of it we, we kind of have to go through some of the major plot points sure. and yeah. this is the point where i think we talk about things we liked you know what, what we thought mm-hmm. did well in the book um yeah and, and, and coker is in charge of a very large group of blind people and he's trying to incite uh, encourage the sighted people who are right. gathering to leave so that they can now rebuild you know the community to right. come out and help him support all these blind people yeah and facing rejection that way he takes matters into his own hands yes uh conspires to make a also alarm fire, you know, create some smoke and get them to try to evacuate the building whereupon they hit everybody with the forget-me stick and, uh, and take over, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's a smart thing because blind people don't need to see in the dark or the light. Right. And so, you know, he attacks at night. He sets mm-hmm. a bunch of trip wires, which you can't see in the dark. Yeah. And if you fall down, yeah, you get whacked with a knobby stick. So let's mention just a little bit about the kind of the history of the Triffids because the book diverts pretty quickly from the main plot where he's waking up in the hospital not able to see, talks about... How he didn't get to see the meteor shower and that kind of stuff. Right. And then goes into his background of being like a botanist or a biologist studying triffids. Right. And, um, you know, he got that sort of partial, like he got sprayed in the eyes with some of the venom or something. Mm-hmm. And so it talks about how the triffids were being cultivated somewhere in Russia, I think, anyway. And yeah. and this somebody was trying to sell... A man remember. shows up at one of the more popular vegetable oil producers in mm-hmm. Britain right? and uh, says, uh, what would happen to your business if uh, a brand new plant were to be developed with incredible amounts of oil volume and it mm-hmm. was a much healthier oil and you know easier to handle and blah, 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 sure. blah. Mm-hmm. And the guy says, well, we would quickly go out of business. And then mm-hmm. the guy says, well, what if I were to sell you some of that? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he's trying trying to make a profit on it. Um, right. Selling technology, essentially. Well, then in the course of trying to bring the technology over, his plane is shot down, and triffids are seeded all around the globe. And this is in the past at some point. And so subsequent to that, Bill gets struck by a triffid when he's young, right? and it's a young triffid. And that's, that's kind mm-hmm. of when they just start discovering how dangerous the triffids can be. Yeah, they would keep them as, as pets. Right. And they can dock them, right? Keep, keep cutting the stinger off so that they're not dangerous, but the stinger grows back. Right. Um, and they later find out that you get higher oil production with the stingers. Right. And so then they have to be very carefully cultivated. 
So the important <laughs> thing to know from all this is that Bill has a long experience with Triffids, and he knows how dangerous they are. Yes. And that's something he tries to tell people right. all throughout pretty much the first half of the book. Yeah, and he actually, one of the first places that he goes with Joe is to his plant in order to get Triffid anti-triffid weapons guns. right right yeah. guns and anti-venom and protective suits mm -hmm. and i think a flamethrower or two and yeah well yeah. He, some, something that will take a take the sting off a triffid from a long from a ways out well uh, i was gonna say out. i think it's it the only reason that you could possibly want to bring in the triffids to this matter like you were trying to do anyway is to note that it's really the only advantage that bill gets Right, that that right. he has the knowledge. That, that's of the his advantage right? throughout the novel is that well, he has experience and knowledge of the Triffids and somewhat of a toxin build, toxin resistance, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure if um, if it's ever really explicitly stated that he has a resistance to it. Um, he talks about how he thinks he has some sort of resistance just because it's possible because he was stung when he was young, right? Yeah, because yeah. he was stung when he was young, and he's surprised he wasn't blind already. Right. And, yeah, and that's 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 possibly yeah part of why he didn't but, but I think it's worth noting that he's the only really main character in the story that has this experience and this knowledge of the triffids right. and it helps him and the people around him survive better than most yeah and and it seems like it's not really well you know kind of widely known how dangerous the triffids are right it was yeah, I think it was kept under wraps they didn't want people to know yeah there were large no, yeah. large farms in every part of the world mm -hmm. full of these triffids for making oil yeah right yeah, I think that under wraps bit comes out quite a bit in the 2009 flick, which mm -hmm. I guess we'll get back to. So, yeah. one of the consequences of having concentrated groups of, of people and and collapse of infrastructure is disease, right? Right. And the book mm -hmm. definitely delves into that, where after Coker has kind of taken over and required the sighted people to be tied to blind people in order to go around and look for resources, um, people start falling ill. And that that is kind of when Bill is able to get away. But he and Joe are separated at that point. Right. They've each been assigned different groups of blind people that they're supposed to support. Mm -hmm. And um, Bill's group starts dying one by one. Right. Um, although, and it looks like, uh, I don't know. It looks if like typhoid actually... fever. Yeah. They but like... it's way too fast. It's right. much more transmissible, and the, the incubation time mm -hmm. is much faster. Yeah. And the time to die is incredibly faster. Hmm. It's a good uh, narrative disease. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's, it's a good good sort of MacGuffin. Well, and right. it later supports one of the things that we're going to talk about later. Okay. Well, if we don't get back to that, that's going to seem like a strange comment. Yes. So we better get back True. to it. And so Bill's left on his own, and he decides he needs to go and try and find uh, Joe in London right. and can't. Yeah, and they had talked about going someplace on the coast. And so that's where he kind of gets the idea, I mm -hmm. need to head out towards the coast and see if I can find Joe. Right. Um, and that's where there's some of the just beautiful prose about... The collapse of society and and the the difference in where society's gone and now you're isolated and it's a very different isolation than just being alone. Right. And I, I wanted to I had a read a quote. A, a quote. Okay. So he's just kind of he's philosophizing about his experience of isolation and how it's such a different thing than he than loneliness he had previously thought of. So he says, to deprive a gregarious creature of companionship is to maim it, to outrage its nature. The prisoner and the Cenobite are aware that the herd exists beyond their exile. They are an aspect of it. But when the herd no longer exists, there is, for the herd creature, no longer entity. He is part of no whole, a freak without a place. If he cannot hold on to his reason, he is lost indeed, most utterly, most fearfully lost, so that he becomes no more than the twitch in the limb of a corpse. So, I thought that was a cool quote. I, I also... Uh, 
the Cenobite. I had to look it up because all I could think of was Hellraiser. Yes. Oh, um, right. And it just means monk, really. So. Oh, yeah. I'm kidding. Or the, like a recluse. Right. So, you know, I thought that was, I, I love the prose. I, there, there's, I could have picked any number of, of quotes, but that was the one that really stuck out to me. So. Yeah. Right. Shall we talk about how the book wraps up or shall we leave that unspoiled? Well, what we've talked to about this point is, is close to half the book. True. The rest of the book is his search right. for Gisela, uh, the mm-hmm. communities he comes across, the other people that he meets, mm. um, some people that he decides to rescue. Right. So we talked about how the first the first group was the people who wanted to throw out morality. Right. And then the second group is Beadley's group, which wants to clamp down and have they're really the, rigid morals. They're the biblical ones. Right. The biblical, biblical bunch. Yeah, they want a party like it's ni- 1899. Right. Um, and I think uh, Coker eventually decides to stay with them and sort of help with maintenance of their group. Right. And, of course, that group mm-hmm. gets wiped out by disease, I think. Yeah. So, right. Um, and, yeah, um, Bill decides to sally forth and drive a lorry and and finds how quickly the roads start to wash away and how, how things become impassable. And he encounters a more militant group at some point in there. In fact, I think he encountered them in London, Right, um, and then that's Torrance, right? We yeah. think that's Torrance. Yeah, yeah the redheaded, the guy. redheaded guy. Yeah, yeah, who just very brutally put down a blind person who was slowing him down or something. And well, he shot a bunch of people from his group too. Right, and yeah. so it kind of shows the different reactions that people have towards. Okay, society has collapsed. What do we do? And one group wants to rebuild in whatever most efficient way they can. Another one wants to rebuild around an ideal um, or an ideology, and the other group goes well. What can we get out of this? Yeah. And, and they want to go, well, eventually the whole world's going to recover from this, and we want England, uber alles. and Right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so it's a much more militant group. They want to recruit people. They, you know, each person, each sided person has to be responsible, of course, for some blind people, but it's a very militarized situation. Right. And that's kind of the climax of the book is the confrontation with Torrance and his people, which is true right. throughout kind of all the iterations of the adaptation. In Not the so much in the 1962 film. film. Yeah. It's there, but but slightly different. So, And then the ending kind of ends. And yeah. You're not left with this sense of, uh, of uh, completion. Right. And since I was coming at this from having seen the 1962 film, which has a much more definite ending to it, yes. uh, I was a little shocked. I kept, I kept going, okay, and when are they going to come up with the solution to this? When, when right. are they gonna, yeah, and, and I won't mention what the solution is yet. Until we get to the other movie, um, and so yeah, it was it was a little anticlimactic for me. But on further consideration, I'm like, you know what? Actually, that makes sense. This is not something that might have an easy solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might have to just okay, where are we going to hide? Where are we going to go and try and ride this out? Well, it's like in, in the book, they were going towards the same route as the movie ended up getting to. Like they wanted to bring, they wanted him to come to their colony because. He was a biologist, uh, scientist, right. had experience with the Triffids to study them. And, sure. You know, we could use your knowledge. Please come. You know, That's a good point. Yeah. Be awesome with us. Yeah. Exactly. Um, they, they, they kind of took that to its to end ultimate conclusion, I suppose, not the ultimate conclusion. Sure. They took it, they took it out to a conclusion in the movie, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Anything else to talk about about the book? There was one thing I wanted to note just because of a later piece I'll bring up, I suppose. Okay, go for it. Is they had the, the helicopter deal. When they were her, uh, him and Josie or Joe were out right. in the, out in the coast, they saw the helicopter go by, and they're like, "Hey, helicopter!" Yay. Yeah. Okay, so just remember, there was a guy that did the helicopter thing, and it wasn't Coker. It wasn't Coker. No, not in the book. I thought it was Coker. Uh uh-uh. uh 
And that it talked about how he how he had like broken three helicopters trying to learn to fly them. That was in the show. Oh, okay. You're sure it wasn't Coker? Yeah. Are you sure it wasn't Coker? Coker sent them sent that guy to go find them. Yeah. Okay. He sent the guy to find him. He wasn't the one flying the helicopter. Interesting. Okay, because I had read that back it's, into the it's book. It's one of the only real differences between the book and the 1981 miniseries. It makes sense. Why are you going to introduce <laughs> a new character, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... A form of character consolidation. So I think we're all thumbs up on the book. Oh, yeah. Book yeah. rocks. And yeah. James, when you eventually were able to... It, as long as you could read it drunk, it was <laughs> right. really good, right? It was good. Yeah, yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Okay. If I could find it as an EPUB, I'd buy it at full cost. That's how much I liked it. Oh, you Oh, you mean a non-DRM uh, EPUB? No, no, any EPUB. It doesn't exist. It's only available on Kindle. Oh. I might have already looked at Kobo and Barnes and & Noble and all legal sources. <laughs> yeah, no, no no, notebook available. That sucks. Totally. Yeah, because I would have bought it too because I ended up just getting it from... What did I get it from? I, I think I got it from a, reused, or a used bookseller. Yeah. And, so uh, yeah, go to Barnes & Noble and there's a little button you can click to say, I want this as an, in a, as an electronic book. Yeah, request it. And tell it. people. I'll do that. There we go. I clicked it. Thanks, man. Okay, so as we mentioned, but that was a pretty <laughs> lengthy talk just about the book, um, circled around a few times. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about the 1962 film. This is the one that I saw when I was a kid. It is phenomenally cheesy. Um, <laughs> we, we all watched this one together, and, and it, like I said, it was, I mean, it was of its time, absolutely, mm-hmm. where, where it had, you know, strong male characters and women who scream and look pretty. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the interesting thing is, in, in this movie... It introduces a completely novel plot line of this couple on like a lighthouse island doing scientific research. And he's a lush and she's busting his balls about it, which I thought was awesome. You know, when we're watching, it, I'm like, okay, cool. This is a, you know, this is a female character I can get behind, you know? Yes. And then, of course, as soon as the Triffids show up, because they're on this island, they don't see the light show and they're not blinded. Then when the Triffids show up, she turns into a helpless puddle of screaming. Yes. Right. And it's. Yeah, just because Triffids are much more scary than drunk, abusive husbands. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, they notice that something has gone wrong when the ship doesn't come that brings him his booze. He's on this very strict <laughs> ration of booze. Right. And he's all pissed off about that, and that's when, that's when they kind of realize something's wrong. So separate from that, you have the Bill Mason character, who isn't English. He's an American sailor. He's an American sailor. Like an American naval officer. Yeah. And he's kind right. of a... Uh, I don't know about you guys. I couldn't get behind him as a character. I, he didn't do anything for me. Um, I didn't find him heroic. I, I thought he was just kind of the ugly American. But he was a hard hard sell as a lead. But well, there wasn't anyone else behind him. Right. <laughs> so we'll, right. We'll, we'll get into my issues with with this production later, um, as <laughs> as we as we talk about what we thought about it. But yeah. so uh, you know the thousand foot view minus that subplot that isn't in the book is pretty similar. Right, the same kind of thing happens. The world falls apart because everybody goes blind. Mm-hmm. Bill Mason is on the loose. He he encounters Gisela. Um Oh wait, no, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. That's right. No. Yeah. So that's that's one of the main differences, right? He finds the kids. Right. He finds the, the, or, Susan, the girl. Yeah, Susan? Susan, the girl. Yeah. yeah. Um, who is in the book? And we didn't mention that, but you know, one of the people that he rescued. Right. What? So one other thing to talk about. I know we've already moved on from the book. The book takes place over several years. Right. Because it, a lot of time passes after they reach the coast. Because right. they have to figure out how to deal with the Triffids from there. And they mm-hmm. keep, there's, there's a lot of talk about the intelligence of the Triffids. Is it a hive intelligence? Can they communicate? Um, you know, how, do we, how do we manage them? You know, they have an electrified fence and a generator. Right. And the Triffids start to figure out when the fence is on and when it's off. 
um, and they you know they burn them, which is awesome. Yes, um, right. Which you would think if they're if they've got that much high quality oil in them, they should really burn. So <laughs> I I was a total pyro when I was a kid. So yeah, so I would, that would have been fun. As we're watching this movie, you know, we have this completely foreign plot. And when when it first comes in, I think, okay, cool, this is Bill and he's married or something. And and then I don't even know the names of those characters. I don't I don't remember. I'm not going to look it up. I don't care. Um because of that that plot. Like I didn't necessarily object to it existing, but now we're talking about my gripes and I'll move on. Um so <laughs> but Bill finds the girl and they travel to France and they encounter other people in France, right? And as right. as we're watching it, we're kind of <laughs> chuckling and 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 one minute he's in England and one minute he's driving through France and we're like, did he drive from England right. to France? And I had to go back and watch it again, watch that part again to see. No, indeed, they, they came to a port and went aboard a big uh, ship and, and evidently found a smaller one and crossed the channel. And crossed the channel. Right. So, but it wouldn't have surprised me really in that <laughs> film to have them drive from yeah. England to France. The movie's really only loosely inspired by the book. It really is, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, don't, then, I don't really get the whole point of why they even went to France. Why did they even bring France into the plot of the movie? I think he was. They were hoping to find infrastructure remaining in France, or as opposed to Britain. Or yeah, I guess, yeah. Well, I, they I knew don't that remember. Britain's infrastructure was gone. At least London, London was. Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess they were kind of wondering. Well, maybe it didn't happen in Paris, huh? Yeah, I think he wanted to get to Spain, and eventually they do go to Spain. Oh, that's right. For the yeah. naval base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and so they encounter other people, and mm -hmm. they they don't ever really encounter the big group of people wanting to rebuild society. They don't ever really encounter right. Beadley, although I think the guy's name is Beadley in Spain. Might have been. Um, but I, I could be wrong about that, but... Wait, I didn't even remember the details of the plot now, because it didn't, <laughs> it didn't stick out to me. Um... <laughs> But you no, know, well, they were trying to get to Spain because that's where the Americans were rescuing people. Here's one question: Do you either of you guys re recall? Is he a Triffid expert in the day of the Triffids movie? No, no, yeah, no, I he's just so a sailor. There's okay. So one other major difference is Triffids are not a naturally occurring plant that has been cultivated for its right. oils. The Triffids came to Earth on a meteor on, it, right. on the day of the Triffids. Yes. In fact, like the beginning, that's how the movie starts. And I'll have to put that quote in because it's awesomely 60 cheesy. The day of the trip. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, the same sort of thing happens where he kind of gets a family out of it. Right. And, right. and yeah. The, yeah, the pregnant couple in Spain. Yes. And, you know, the, and the wife was blind. And the wife was yeah. blind. But the wife was naturally blind. Oh, the husband was naturally blind. Oh, it was the husband. Oh, never mind. Okay. Right. Oh, I didn't remember that. Yeah, one yeah. one of them was naturally blind, and yeah. so they were kind of teaching the other one how to cope with it. Yes, that yeah. is correct. And so they're happy that they come, not only because they're sighted, but because there's a woman, and she's going to give birth in short term. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Boy, I don't even really... I mean, there's still the idea of going not to the Isle of Wight, but going to the place where you can be safe. Right. right. And and getting there uh, Escaping, on a boat, basically. Right? Right. Don't, don't they... They end up going on a submarine. I think so. Yeah, and yeah. so they, they use an ice go. cream truck. Right, and that was that was the great thing when, yeah. <laughs> when we're watching it, and they they have this truck with a with it looks like an ice cream truck with mm -hmm. a sound system uh, right. big horn on the top of it, and he drives out to outside their complex the and then bails out of the car, and the Triffids all follow it because right. Triffids scream for ice cream. Yes, and uh, so I thought that was <laughs> that was pretty cool. Then you kind of have it's like the people producing the movie decided, well, we've got to have some kind of resolution to this. And so the Triffids invade this island with this other couple on it. Right. They Com were the Triffid experts. 
Or well, yeah, well, they were biologists. Biologists. They were biologists, and so they, they became trivet experts. I so suppose. now well, let's get back to talking about and, some of my gripes here. Right? Yeah. They open the door, and there's a trivet. You know, and in the book, I mean, the trivets are pretty cunning. Right? They're stealth they, predators. They, they hide around corners and 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 right. sting you when you're least expecting it. In this case, you know, they do more the kind of ring the doorbell. Right. Thing and, and come <laughs> it, in. It just dawned on me like most movies do character consolidation. This one did character expansion. Yes. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> to like um, an well, it's, they wanted that plot. <laughs> they wanted more of a resolution to it. And so the Triffids yeah. invade this this island, and and they, they come in, and the guy is attacking the Triffid with an axe, and his wife, his strong wife, ball busting wife, right, huddles like cowers against the wall and Loses screams her ball five times. And like <laughs> bites her knuckle, you know she's so scared and so useless, and yeah, just pissed me off. Yeah, what was the knuckle biting thing? Like, what? <laughs> it was it was like oh okay, just in case this is a silent film. That's a period thing. Yeah, I'm I think pretty so. sure she embarrassed Emily actually. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. It, I mean, Emily would have taken Triffid to task. I oh, wouldn't yeah, mess absolutely. with her. As they're as the Triffids are invading, they're, they're they're going up like the spiral staircase up up to the top of the lighthouse. Yeah, and that's the second batch because they first come right. in and they think they kill one, and so he's dissecting Ooh, that's it, right. and they go to sleep, and it wakes right. up. Right, it regenerates. Right, so these these Triffids are regeneration. Yeah, regeneration. The Wolverine Triffids. Wolverine Triffids. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as they're as they're going up the stairs, you know, he, he's he's running out of ways to to deal with them, and then he sees a hose and says, you know, seawater. Morning corrosive or something like that. I can't remember what the what the sign said. Yeah. Um, but he's like, oh, sweet, you know, I'll hose these guys down. And so he he puts the hose on him, and of course it's it's the Wicked Witch of the West, and right. seawater melts them. Yeah. And that is sort of the resolution, though it never really gets to the main characters. But since you know that they this this is their weakness, and right. in a way it's faith it's it's true to the book because in the book, um, the wall the water is the wall, right? They actually use mm-hmm. that use that phrase that the water will, the the ocean will be our like their protection buffer. against them. Yeah, only because they don't cross water. Not yes. because, well, because they can't swim. No, I know. Yes. So I'm, it's yeah, but they still get like spores that fly over in the sure. wind. And so it's only tangenti- tangentially faithful. Yes, in, right. that, in that way. Um, yes. you're you're stretching. You're stretching. I yeah. So this is the thing, right? Wait, I wait, mean, one second. I have a question for you. Okay, real quick. Go for it. Is one of your gripes how lame of a character Bill is and Bill Mason is in the movie? Yes. Okay. And, and I the, think that had a lot to do with them. They they stripped his character and created totally his did. other two people. Well, why did they do it? Right? The they had house. other characters that they had to develop right. instead of just him. Where it's it's very much it's very focused on Bill and Joe in the mm-hmm. book and and Coker to some extent. Yeah. A little Coker. Yeah. And well, that's I, pretty much I guess it. in in hmm, in trying to understand why the movie did it, I suppose. You mentioned how the book takes place over years. Yes. And they're trying to come to a relatively quick ending in the movie in the matter of I don't know, weeks, months? Right. But see, I would argue that one of the strengths of the book is that it takes place over years. No, I understand. But, if, but from the movie's perspective, if you're trying to come to some sort of resolution where they discover a way to beat the Trippids in a matter of weeks or months. No, no, no I, and I get that. You, you, I can't have Bill, you can't have Bill doing that on the run. So you've got to have you know, another maybe a pair of dedicated scientists right. like they did that have their full attention to spend on it. Sure. So this is my problem. I do not. Not object. that I'm justifying it. I'm not no, defending no, no. it in no, any way, it. shape, I or form. <laughs> but my my problem isn't that the characters exist. It's that the plot lines never converge. So right. I, if you were going to be doing this, I yeah. would have rather had Bill and and whoever else was with him go to the lighthouse island and then have the Triffids right. invade and have that happen with everybody there, because I that so just narratively that would have made more sense to me. Um, right. Even and and yeah, as long as they converge there. You, didn't even necessarily have to do it in parallel, but right. 
so that's my, my main problem is just execution of the storyline yeah um, I didn't mind that they that they trimmed a lot of stuff out and, and mm -hmm. shortened the timeline of it um, because the 2009 film did that and I found that much more palatable so right hmm yeah the the, the secondary plot line with that lighthouse deal was a bit it was promising Hard to I mean because the way the way it started watch. out I liked the banter between them I liked that yeah that I liked the direction that the girl character was going you like how it started, but you yeah. you recognize pretty quickly throughout the movie that you're never going to see that convergence, and yeah. that's what bothered me the entire time because I'm like, well, why are they, what's going on here? There's yeah. there's nothing happening. They're not really contributing except for right. magically killing. Yeah, the plot the is being driven by somebody that we don't have much stake in anyway because because of that lack of character development right. and because the important stuff is happening on that island. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I bet if the wife had killed the first Triffid. <laughs> but became wounded, and so she was afraid to fight the Triffids again. Now yeah. we have character development. Yeah, absolutely. And then he, you know, the husband has to step up and protect her. I mean, it could have been, yeah, could have been a lot better. No, and then then he 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 makes a Molotov cocktail with the last of his booze and throws it at the Triffid. Yes, right. Yeah. See, we could rewrite this thing. We should. <laughs> yeah. But we're we're going to talk about what we want in a in a remake. Yes. Um. Oh, right. Because yes. I wouldn't I wouldn't mind something that pulled from multiple sources, pulled from the book, pulled from the '62 film. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay. So. I wasn't a big fan of the 62 film, just in talking about what, what I thought about it. You guys? No. Nee. No? Nee. No. I mean, it was no. delightfully cheesy. Um, I had remembered, when, when, when they're kind of burning the Triffids off, because they do do the flamethrower thing in the 62 film. Right. Um, in my memory, they were using seawater. And so, so when they went out <laughs> to do the, the burning, I was like, what? Because um, oh, I had completely, the two things had converged. Because that was how they defeated them. Oh, right, right. Them. Um, That's funny. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Triffid design. Um, Triffid design. Uh, maybe we should do that after we talk about the other two. Let's talk yeah. about the other two. Yeah, right. But, but I will mention they were very sort of alien-looking in, in the 1962 film. They had mouths. They kind of had like Dementor mouths yeah. from Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so they looked less like a plant. I mean, they still looked leafy and stuff. Right. Um, yeah. I thought they were nice and cheesy, though. They, they were beautifully cheesy. Yeah. I thought it was decent for the tech of the time, though. I also need to mention, though, the movie poster for the 1962 film is that just is out bad. of this world. It is so cool. So one interesting thing in looking up the, the Wikipedia entry is it doesn't have any, any kind of information on the budget or the reception of it. Um, but it does mention mm -hmm. that one thing that people evidently didn't like about it was it sort of has the pat ending like War of the Worlds, where, oh, oh Common right. Cold wiped him out. Yeah. The end. Yeah, none of us big fans of the 1962 film. Mm -hmm. So it was then, I, I wrote down here that there was a 1975 comic book adaptation by Marvel Comics, and I think I might have linked that, and I think, I think I might have a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, um, I tried to look at that, but it was really novel. hard to read. Yeah, it was individual JPEGs that you had to look at and zoom. Yeah. And it kind of sucked, but, but I'll put it in the show notes anyway. And let me make sure I have mentioned anything else from there. Yeah, one of the one of the things about the book and and this movie, there was some mention of, like I said, the intelligence of the Triffids, mm -hmm. right? That, because they go for the eyes. Why do they go for the eyes? Because they know that's our advantage. And then there's there's this clicking that they do, that they seem to do more at certain times. Right. But it's never really followed up, and and so you just it's always kind of an open question. Which, in a way, I'm kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. This is post-apocalyptic. You don't have the research. You you right. have notions about it. Um, you would think people who were cultivating them might 
have some stake in trying to figure that kind of stuff out. <laughs> um, and that actually comes into the 2009 film, in which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, actually, you know, I don't know if they, you would think that they would try and figure that out, because if you think about it from the company's perspective, they're out to make money. They only want to research they don't know if this is a, money. a creature that should be cared for and not exploited. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. So I noticed that on Library to Go, which is the kind of online ebook and audiobook thing that you can get to through the Washington County Libraries, and I'm sure a variety of other libraries. Sure. They had an audio version of The Day of the Triffids that was a radio play. And, and oh, I, nice. I started listening <laughs> to it. It was really, really quite good. Uh-huh. Um, good. Good voice acting, and some of the structure had kind of changed because it's sort of Bill dictating the history of things at Josella's urging. Um, oh, so like so, a variation oh, okay. of the 1981 miniseries. Yeah, very right. much kind of this, the same as that. And I don't know what time that's from. I think it predates the 1981 series. So, oh, okay. But that's something that, that uh, could be looked at. I, I will try and find a, a link to that and put it in the show notes. Cool. Yeah, I like the way they did that with the 1981 series. Okay, well, um, why don't we move on to that then? Because this oh, is a 1981 BBC miniseries. Yep. Uh, we all Almost watched 20 it on, years later. <laughs> right, yeah. We all watched it on Hulu. Um, I yep. watched it, and then Colin started watching it, and then it expired and went plus. Oh. So um, <laughs> I think it's still Google Plus probably, but it, it had been on Hulu a couple months ago. It and had, and I just slacked off not watching it in time. Yeah. So it may be, I don't know if it's there today. Well, the, so the 1901 series basically follows almost exactly like the book. Um, the parts of the book where you get kind of Bill's background and um, his knowledge and experience with the Triffids comes out in the movie in the, in in that he's trying to record a, a bio, an autobiography for himself or a biography, I guess, for someone else. To while write. he's in the hospital. Yeah, right? while he's in the hospital. Yeah, yeah it's, it, yeah, it's it like seemed like it was just something for him to do while he was in the hospital. Yeah, I got the impression he was like dictating letters to someone. But yeah, he he was he was yeah. dictating yeah. his biography for someone else to write for him. Right. Um. And I thought that was a, a good way to work in the narrative of his of his history and experience with the uh, Triffids. Mm-hmm. I thought to me it worked out pretty well. Yeah, no, that's um, a clever way to do it. I think. Yeah. Um, because because the book does have that lengthy flashback series that right or yeah. sequence that yeah takes place. And they they I think they worked it in nicely uh, with that bit. Pretty much, uh, I think from there the story goes the same as it does in the book. Yeah, it's except for that in the nineteen eighty one miniseries, series he's in room twenty two. And in the book, he's in room forty-three. <laughs> <laughs> so, and but did he did he wake up and take off his bandages at eight o'clock in the morning? That's the question. Oh, yeah. That's the real question. So, <laughs> but like I said, the helicopter was Coker in the uh, miniseries and not Coker in the book. Right. Well, yeah, you're paying an actor, yeah. right? You don't want to right. pay another actor for an <laughs> unnecessary role, and so you right. have Coker fly that. And the 2009 film uh, did the same thing. Yeah. So, th- but, but it was plain. Which made sense since Coker was an Coker was a pilot in yeah. the then that film, yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, there's not much to say about the miniseries uh, that we haven't really covered by talking about the book, <laughs> except for that I liked it. I thought it was nice. I, I thought it was good. I enjoyed it because of how it was nice to see how faithful it was and how sure. being faithful, it didn't really sacrifice any quality though. The, it, its faithfulness, I think, lent itself to the quality of its film, and I like yeah that aspect of it. I suppose. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's like 90 Thinking back to something like, you know, Jurassic Park, where if they were actually faithful to the book, it would have been a horrible movie. (laughs) I think think you're going to get disagreement from Colin on that one. Uh, It might not have been a great movie. It wouldn't have been horrible. (laughs) Right. Um, No, so, yeah, we've talked about this before, right, where adapting 
a, a full-length book. Now, this is not a lengthy book. It was 250 pages or so. Maybe, right. yeah. yeah. Um, but even so, trying to adapt an entire thing into a two-hour movie, yeah. I, I just I remember tough. I remember being impressed at the end of the series of how damn near exact it was to the book. Yeah. And I still found it was a good good show. Sure. You know, I wasn't like, oh, they should have taken this out or done this or done that. Uh -huh. I didn't really have that many gripes with it. Right. Being and I, as faithful I, as it was. Yeah. Like I was saying, that I think doing a TV miniseries is a much better way to adapt right. a book like that. It's Long just, form fiction. You're not yeah. gonna, the, the thing is, you're not going to have as much budget. Right. Right. And so I'm sure there were a lot of shortcuts taken. It does not look expensive. No, no, I think doesn't. you guys would agree. Yeah. Uh, all the indoor shots look like they're, you know, on a sitcom stage or something. Um, <laughs> I don't think it, it was that bad though for what it was. Uh, I don't. The, but, the audio quality was yeah. not not very good in places like I should talk on our podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that ours is any great shape. No. You know, the Triffids were fairly faithful, right? They had yeah. three feet. They moved very slowly. Yeah, they, they were, were still predators. Yeah. They they clicked and mm -hmm. knocked. I did like how they did the Triffids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they were they were again delightfully cheesy. So. Yeah. And I don't think that Triffids should ever be... But I think be... it was good puppetry for the time, in my Yeah, yeah. Opinion. No, no. I, I, I wouldn't say that they skimped on that. And yeah. I think I think I saw some place where it took like two people inside each Triffid to move it. Oh, really? Or like cool. there was... Maybe it was just one person. I can't remember. Nice. Um, but yeah. So Colin, why don't you talk about the 1981? I think James said it all. It, it's really, really faithful. Mm -hmm. uh, it had better monsters in the 1962 movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't agree about the, the so much about the 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 sound quality, but I mean the lighting was not made. The lighting was theatrical lighting, not film lighting. In, okay. in, instead of trying to replicate a a scene like like here we are inside of a room mm -hmm. for filming, this room would have been like completely brightly lit with yeah, yeah. all the right. lack of shadows and everything sure. that you'd expect to see. Um, yeah, yeah it reminds me of watching old episodes of Doctor Who. Just okay. the quality, of what that is, and so if, oh, if yeah. you th yeah. I don't want to say it was campy, but it had that same production value at it. See, I was thinking of like old episodes of like Upstairs, Downstairs, where there's there's kind of an echo mm, yeah. in there, and yeah. it's just like right. the the there's a there's a hollowness that shouldn't be there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now the outdoor shots were were superior. It was the indoor ones that where I'm where my real gripe is. Mm -hmm. um, I you know I liked I liked the cast. Uh, I don't know their names, but, but no. you know, the guy who played Bill Mason, I thought, did a nice job. Uh, the lady who played Josella had this just killer Pat Benatar oh, yeah. chick mullet. Yes. From, like, 80s chick mullet, um, which was but, awesome. Which was trendy for the time. I'm, yeah, I'm too. sure it was. it was. Yeah, if you think about it, because she was very trendy, I guess, for the time, too, right? Yes, Being very fetching for, for a 1981 movie. Right. Or 1981 woman. Woman of the 80s. Right. Um and I like the guy who played Coker. I thought he did a nice job. It seemed like his role was expanded a little bit, but mm -hmm. yeah. I guess no, it probably wasn't. It was probably just straight out of the book. I'm just thinking of Coker from no. Like, since Coker didn't exist. Besides the helicopter in the bit, I think it was pretty much spot on. Okay. Um, so the 1981 one obviously captures the, the sickness. Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of does everything. The different right? groups, the communities. Uh, yeah. Um, Coker's kind of rant about how you guys need to stop being so. Female, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Man up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What else is there to talk about about the about that film? It was well done. If if by well done you mean faithful, then yes. Yes, but that does it's not. It's okay not to be wrong, Seth. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so <laughs> it's okay to so disagree with me. Yeah, and be wrong. Seth. This is, is okay. one of those instances where Colin is right. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, you, you're probably getting the impression okay. that I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, <laughs> no. Now, I did watch it after the 2009 one. Oh, mm -hmm. that would definitely ruin you. Because um, the special effects... There's nothing nothing wrong with the special effects in the 1981 
Uh, yeah, no, actually, but yeah, the 2009 exactly in comparison, if you were to oh. put them make one of those today and make yeah. the 2009 movie today, people would be like, "That's a guy in a suit with a wooden knocker." <laughs> yeah, sure. Versus, um, you know, but the, I, you know, I've 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 voiced my opinion before that I like practical effects over CG. Right. Where possible. Uh, that's why I prefer the Triffids in 1981 film. Is I thought the practical, I thought they did a great job with the practical effects. Yeah, I would as agree. As opposed to the, um, whatever it is, CG probably. So, guess, okay, my main problem film. is, we already had the book. Why did we need the 1981 series? Because <laughs> you want to see it and experience it. Right, because it's way better than 1962 film. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> Um. Yeah. D- to me, it did. It well, did so your question is why? Why did we bother having the 2009 miniseries? No. No. In fact, I. <laughs> I'm. I'm going to argue that that we needed that one. Um. No, we didn't need it, but but there was there was room for it. Um. Mm, yeah. yeah. So. Mm, yeah. yeah. I, my main problem with something that is just a straight faithful adaptation is I've already read the story. It, if it doesn't add something to it, if it doesn't somehow make it better, then. Yeah. So I mean, the visual element does the, add the visual element, it? of course, is something okay. that, that okay. add, adds to it. But when you take a written material and you move it to a visual one, uh-huh. it, you're totally at the mercy of of the production values, of the special effects, or whatever, and and of the actors to bring it to life. And in the case of like Coker, I really liked. I guess I liked the cast; they, they were decent, mm-hmm. but they didn't take it to a different level. And so here's my example. The Princess Bride. Have you, either of you read the book? Yes. Okay. I've read the book. I, I didn't like it. I, I didn't like any of the characters. And the reason was I'd seen the movie. And in the movie, all the characters have a certain charm to them. Even Prince Humperdinck. And you know, even the bad guys have a certain panache to them. Yeah. Where in the book, the bad guys are just disgusting. Buttercup's a bimbo. Wesley's kind of a doofus. I, I didn't like the characters in there. But then you brought that to the screen and you had these wonderful actors that brought the very best out of all of them. And it was written by the same guy. Yeah, William Goldman. Yeah. And so that's... And it's a pretty faithful adaptation. It it made a few changes here and there. But the movie is so much better because of that performance. I don't feel like this 1981 adaptation of The Day of the Triffids is infinitely better than the book. So are you saying that with a different cast... Not necessarily a different cast, but a a slightly different take on it. So you took a 1951 concept and you moved it into the 80s and you didn't do anything really... So they didn't add anything to it, They didn't add anything to it. There was no added value between the book and the movie. Or miniseries, I think is what he's trying to say. So, And I can't necessarily put a finger on what I wanted from it. Right. It's just... I just appreciate seeing... The ad- like how they did the adaptation, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, was another example is like the Hunger Games movie, the first one. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of, yeah, I guess that's that's the story, ish. Right. Um, done with kind of lousy chemistry and pretty terrible special effects. Um, where if they had taken it a different direction somehow, maybe it would have been a better film. Now, mm-hmm. part of that I think, and I was talking to my sister about this, that sometimes I think a movie that is faithfully adapted from a book exposes that the book wasn't really that great. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and and in this case, I think the book is terrific, The Day of the Triffids. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there could have been more in the movie or in the, in the miniseries. But right. That's, that's why I think the 1962 one is such a disappointment because it had the opportunity. It went a slightly different direction and it didn't quite work. So you're saying it went the wrong way. And I don't necessarily, I mean, we've already talked about a couple of things we would have changed to maybe make it better. Right, right. Because right. we know everything. 
Yes. Of course. And it's I, our podcast. Yes. And I understand I'm out number <laughs> two to one, and that's fine. Good. So, and the, the listener can judge for him or herself. Right. So if you have uh, read The Day of the Triffids and seen any of the adaptations, you can feel free to chime in and tell me that I'm right. So, Or tell us what you would have done to make the 1981 movie better in your opinion. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Since you can't. Right. Which might mean that there <laughs> can't be done better. <laughs> it might mean that. Um, but someone is, decided they could do it better, and so they came up uh, with the 2009 nice, nice BBC segment. miniseries adaptation. Yes. 2009 adaptation starring Dougray Scott and Joey Richardson and yep. Eddie Izzard. And Brian Eddie Cox. Izzard and Brian Cox. Yes. Yes. I'm not sure if I would say starring Brian Cox. Maybe yeah, I like with Brian Cox. I like because I like him as an yeah, actor. Yeah, he is awesome. So right off the top here, I will say... You had the 1981 film. You already had a completely faithful adaptation. Mm-hmm. There's no way you need to remake it. Oh, if, yeah, you if do. You're gonna, no, if you're going to remake it, why make it faithful? Because it's already been done. Uh, well, you can make it more approachable to people by putting it in today's times. Okay. And some changes would have to be made for that. Sure. And some changes right. definitely were. Sure. There was, I don't remember in the 1981 thing if they ever really talked about what the Triffids yeah. were good for. I'm sure it was mentioned the that, they, that their, their, yeah, the oils, oils, the their oils, oils were good yeah, for something. They, they, brought yeah. it, they had the whole backstory with the, the, the what, Brazilian guy right, right. Uh, smuggling it out of... Sure. But did they, yeah. did they mention that it's a vegetable oil used... And, and it's just consumed? an oil. Yeah. yeah. I don't so, know that they mentioned it was a vegetable oil in particular in the book Yeah, what either. it was really good for? It was just an oil that was far superior than fish oil, olive oil, yeah. all the oils that we okay. use for whatever you use it for. It's superior. Right. Um, it, it doesn't matter what particular, I think... Why you use it for? It's just superior for whatever those other oils sure. are used for. So in the 2009 one, it's it's an oil that takes the place of a different oil, right? It's not not right. not medicinal. It's Mm-mm. not. Uh, it replaces dietary. crude oil. It yeah, replaces fuel. Yeah, it it is used for fuel and solves global warming. They say. Right. Yes. To which, to which I call I call BS. BS. Yeah. Um, I right. don't think it makes sense, and we we'll talk more about it. Um, because my my dad. Oh, I have so, one quick thought, real quick. Go ahead. I think you're uh, not appreciating the f- the art form it takes for cr- translating a book to a movie between the book and the 1981 film or okay. series. I just want to say that. <laughs> right, but I would say that translating a book directly the, the story exactly I think to it the has film its merits because you're so. going you're going through the act of doing it and in itself that's an art form. Sure, and, and I appreciate you're seeing it. how it's done, how they go about the effects, the visuals, the Changing of the story, if there's any change that they want sure. to make. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciated the way they, they introduced the backstory. Right. With, with Bill recording that, right? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, in but the 2009 anyway. one, the, the oil is useful as fuel and, and has helped solve the whole problem of global warming somehow. Yes. And while we call BS on it, we'll go, Magical. whatever, it's, it's science fiction, mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> um, we do like to pick on bad science and things. And, True. And... Seems like it's got to be pretty bad science. Let's just talk about it. So, um, I didn't mention I watched. Uh, so, since I had seen the original film with my dad, I wanted to watch the new ones with him. And he also read the book, and then watched. We watched the two thousand nine one, and then the the nineteen eighty one. And when it talked about the the oils and stuff, Dad just went, "If you're burning the oil, you're still producing carbon dioxide as a byproduct." Right. No, no, nope. Why? Uh, it's a closed loop. If your triffids take in carbon to make oil and you burn that oil to make carbon, it's a closed loop. In fact, it's probably lossy because you probably don't use all the carbon used by the triffid. I guess that makes some amount of sense. However, I'm going to have to disagree with you on account of the triffids are carnivorous. They use, they use carbon. 
you use carbon to build oils because oils are carbons and hydrogens and some oxygens and maybe a few other things. But it's yeah, the carbon we care about. And carbon comes from living things. And so if, we, if they eat something to, to, to get carbon and then we burn the, the oil in them, it's, it's closed loop. Okay, so the, the, the problem with current fossil fuels is this is carbon that has been in the Earth for a long time, and we're just releasing it. Exactly. Okay. If you can find a closed-loop source, then you, you freeze things at the, at the point that you're at, and then you need to reduce the carbon levels so that we can avoid the, okay. you know, the purported great warming disaster. Okay, so I guess it's maybe plausible and not quite so BSE. Yeah, um, I'll give you a plausible, but not far beyond that. Okay, all right. <laughs> Colin, leaping to the defense of the 2000 yeah. Just because film. I don't think you can make the volume needed, and it doesn't replace coal, and it doesn't replace all the other things that we do. Right. Right, and yeah, that is that is the main problem. And and I, I listen to several science podcasts, and they talk about, you know, getting all the cars that we currently run off the, off the road right. not going to make a difference, because cars are not the problem. It's the... Electri- electrical infrastructure based on coal, based on other stuff. Right. And well, that's, that, that, that's was, that was my kind of problem with that, too, yeah. is you're, you're replacing oil. Sure. How many power generators run off oil, though? Yeah. Or yeah. generation plants? So, yeah. But we, right. we'll let it go because they, <laughs> they said it worked. So they said it solved global warming. So of it course. must have. Must yeah. have. Um, <laughs> so a couple differences in, in the 2009 film is... A couple? <laughs> okay. I would say the thousand foot view is still pretty much the same. No, the the movie is mistitled. The movie should be Day of the Torrents, not Day of the Triffids. <laughs> okay, so can we go back to what you were saying about uh, fight the dead, kill the living, or wait, wait, fight the dead, fear the living? Yes. So it was always about torrents. No. No, it wasn't. It was about a series of human opponents <laughs> and the Triffids. Right. And loneliness. And, and, and there, were, there were a bunch of different themes in the book, right? Right. Um, I don't think it's inappropriately titled. So... The, okay, the thousand foot view is uh, everybody goes blind because of something. Yes, because of Tri- a yeah. Trif- we'll, Triffids we'll back get, to that too. Triffids get loose. <laughs> bad stuff happens. People are people suck. People suck. And and, and other, one of them sucks worse people. than everybody else. Well, of course he does. And he has to take center stage through large parts of the movie. Yes, he does. Um, because so, he's Eddie Izzard. Still, still, thousand oh, foot Eddie Izzard rocked. I mean, oh yeah, totally. Yes. He was rad. We're out of control. Lost a thousand foot view still still matches to me. Ten percent faithful. I, I can't put a hard cap on it. Faithfulness is a quantitative <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> value. Yeah, I think when you look at like crying black triffid tears and his oh, mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just it's oh, yeah. so, so. I mean, yes, there are triffids, but mm. you're not even really scared of them compared to what Torrance is doing. Okay, so here's uh, let me let me talk about why i think it works okay um, okay let, let's talk about a few of the differences first because you're, you're mentioning some of them right yeah uh schedule much more compressed it takes R- place wait. over a couple weeks or right. several weeks maybe mm-hmm. um it's like not... the 1962 film has more come with that therefore it sucks it does okay all right <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it's an adaptation of the 1962 film yes <laughs> i i might give you that um so yeah it's a remake more than a readaptation i don't know but um we don't have an astronomical event that nobody knows what it is because it's not the 1950s, right? So and this is one of my problems with the 1981 right. film. Um, in 1950, it was perfectly plausible that we could not know what was happening up in the atmosphere. Sure. Um, in 1980s, I'm not sure that makes sense, that, that they could go, oh, it's a meteor shower, it's so pretty. Was it um, actually taking place in the 1980s, though, the story in the 1981 series? Uh, the cars were. So. Uh, uh, and the hairdos. But, you know, in the book, the problem wasn't an astronomical event. Every, the whole book is about how humanity ends up destroying itself by, one, creating triffids, and two, having a satellite accident which releases 
things in the atmosphere, which destroys everyone's vision. Isn't I thought it was just a theory, though. That's it's a, it's the best theory they came up with. Okay. Yeah. Um. You know, other major, major difference, obviously, is that you were the, you were just hanging yourself. <laughs> You're just giving me rope. Um, <laughs> other major differences, of course, the, the the oil is a different use. Right. 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 Um, the triffids are more mobile. Way more mobile. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and different. Just fundamentally different. I mean, they're still carnivorous. They still have a sting. But they have big, these great big curly tendrils, and they move really fairly quickly. Right, they have a big root ball, like right. Groot, right? Right. Um, where they use it like Groot I in Guardians Groot. of the Galaxy. Yeah. And they don't do the... They right don't communicate, but they kind of scream. They do communicate. They, 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 they chitter. But something. they don't, they don't uh, have the knockers on the bulbs right. like yeah. in the book. And yeah, James always fixated on the knockers. Yeah. Um, no plague occurs in the 2009 film. Correct. Because, because it's not taking right. place over as much time. Right? right. Even though it happened quickly in the book and in the 1981 thing, still, the, the timeline is much more compressed. You don't have, you, you have a very quick encounter with the university group that wants to remake morality. Not really any talk about them remaking morality. You have Coker comes in, kind of ruins everything, and... and but then yet, they side with him. Oh, they do no. end up siding with him. So he... So what happens is you have the introduction of Torrance, and Torrance, right. this is the major thing, right? You have who survives an airplane crash. <laughs> I love that actually. Uh, I don't find it plausible, but it's still awesome. Um, so he is much more the big bad in the movie. The Triffids are still the bad guy, but but Torrance kind of is the antagonist, other than the Triffids, right? Rather than having several sort of different antagonists, and th there's another minor one, but um, so he joins up with Coker's group, of course, wanting to take over. And he's kind of the nondescript bad guy who we don't even ever learn what his real name was. He takes the name Torrance from a road sign right, mm -hmm. uh, where the plane crashed. And, and we never learn what his real name was. We never know what he was doing before. We just know he was asleep on the airplane in blue-collar clothing. So maybe he was a thief. Maybe, maybe he was just down on his luck and, and took the opportunity to... Uh, to come to power because he goes right. he goes right to Whitehall, yeah, and and right. and takes over the uh, where, where the prime minister sits. Well, he steals the prime minister's secretary, <laughs> right? Yes, um, and and then usurps Coker's authority because Coker he's a he's a Air Force U.S. Air Force major, right? And he kind of joins up with him and then then conspires to overthrow him and have him killed essentially, along with Bill Mason, right? Because he likes Joe. Um, Another difference, Joe is not an uh, author. She's a radio host. Right. Which I liked. I liked that, that difference. Um, sure. Because then he utilizes her as sort of the voice of London, right? Right. To try and get people to come to him to help. Lua people. Yeah. To help make him better. To make, to make Torrance bigger. Yeah. And there's, there's also some differences on the origins of the Triffids. So this is where you, you talked about humanity destroys itself, right? Right. That theme is very true in the 2009 film as well. Because they create the Triffids. Because they create the Triffids, yeah. And and um, Mason's father is kind of the guy behind the genetic engineering of them and evolving them. And so that's why I look at the Triffids and I look at the creature design and the fact that they're they're different. You know, they're faster, fast zombies. Um, they're not really that fast. <laughs> no. Um, but they're more dangerous, right? And I look at that and I go, okay, that makes sense because he talked about the genetic modification of them, which they never really talked about in the other ones other than like, hybridization and that kind of stuff. Right. They were cultivated, but not necessarily designed. So, like you said, in the book, there's this idea that this astronomical event which happened that was supposed to be a comet shower, a meteor shower or something. No. Um, no it's no, the no. aurora... Okay. 
It's the Aurora Borealis. It's a solar discharge, which supercharges. No, 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 no. Okay, stop, stop, stop. In the book, <laughs> in the book, in the book, it's not Aurora Borealis. Oh, no, in no. the book, it's a satellite coming down with this stuff which okay. destroys vision. Right. So at the beginning, it's ostensibly a meteor shower, a comet shower, something like that. And then, sure. then they kind of opine about it. Do they ever decide definitively that's what it is? They never bring forth any other theory. But it's 1951, right? right? It's the day the Earth stood still. You, you've got your nukes here. Try not to destroy yourselves. And so they have satellite defense systems mm -hmm. up there right. that somehow degrade in the atmosphere and end up nuking everybody. Right. Killing their eyesight, right? Right. So it may be a weapon. A man, certainly it's probably something man-made rather than an astronomical event. Well, and one of the reasons I went back to read the book was I thought we'd have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah, I think it's really clear in the book, once okay. you read it carefully, that there is no other cause of everything that happens in man itself. Okay. The, the typhoid is not typhoid. It's a super disease which has been accidentally released. And oh, interesting. The only reason that, that Mason's group escaped it, which isn't talked about but i think it's true is he got so far away from other people and the transmission time is so short that everyone died before they got to him to, so to carry on sort of enforced quarantine of the blindness right right it's okay. it's everyone enclosing in small groups which yeah, prevent yeah. it from being transmitted sure and the stuff which destroys everybody's eyesight that came from a satellite okay and the triffids which are eating people those came from people as well yeah i i didn't feel like the the fact that triffids were man-made was such a big issue in the book where it's definitely, it's the thing in the movie, in the 2009 film. Right. Because um, in the end, it ends up being part of the hope that they can stop it. Yes. Right? We created them, we should be able to pull them back down. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's sort of the, the question of, well, we're going to save ourselves at what cost? And so they, they designed the Triffids. Nobody cared that the Triffids were dangerous while it was solving pollution problems. And they actively hit it, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they actively covered it up. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's one of the things that happens is some crackpot gets into... The Trifoil mm -hmm. company yeah, thing, and, some, and, and goes into the, some the place hugger. where, where the, uh, the male Triffids are kept. Right. And that's when Bill gets stung by a juvenile. Right. Um, and that's a slight difference, which I kind of like, actually. I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, because it didn't, that way they didn't have to do any kind of flashback or anything. It showed it happening kind of real time. But you know, he was like an animal rights, plants rights uh, <laughs> He was guy. like 12 monkeys. I have not seen 12 oh, monkeys. Oh, yeah. Totally like oh, 12 monkeys. Oh, it was kind of like uh, yeah. uh, 28 days. Okay. A typical zombie apocalypse. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, an oh, environmentalist yeah, yeah, yeah. gets in, a rabid environmentalist gets right. in, and mm -hmm. causes a problem which then affects the entire world. It was also at the point where I've decided my opinion on Colin's liking of this movie. Film, series, okay. whatever. Adaptation. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like you said, instead of a meteor shower, comet shower, or satellites degrading an orbit, it's entirely Mother Nature with a, a big solar eruption that scientists are not smart enough to know is going to just fry everything. Right. Um, also, very much less plausible in wiping out all vision on the planet without also torching the atmosphere. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, so I do have a problem with the science mumbo-jumbo about it's going to be a solar eruption and you're going to get a great show and everything right. will be fine. But interesting thing is when Joe is introducing, she's, she has like her Science Friday podcast or something that right. she's doing on, on BBC <laughs> radio and she's talking to this dumb French astronomer or something. Um, right, right. And she says, uh, I wrote it down. She asks him, or she, as she's introducing the astronomical event that's going to happen, she says, there's going to be northern lights seen as far south as Hawaii, a veritable rainbow of comets, she says. And then she asks him if it's a result of global cooling brought on by the use of the trifid oils and if, <laughs> it's any, if there's any danger. And the guy says, no, there's no danger unless you're a satellite. And he actually says that, um, which I think is another nod to the book. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Because maybe it ignited some some satellite weapon, 
I don't know. But I don't find it as plausible. Um, no. no. And, and of course, so here's the thing. Here's like the 1951 book, like we mentioned, it's, that's the scare, right? That, that we are going to destroy ourselves with a weapon. Right. Mm -hmm. Where now the fear is that, that we are destroying ourselves by destroying the environment and kind of being careful about what we do to try and overcome it. Because there's, there's talks right. about like putting big shields around the planet to, to reduce the amount of sun that gets to us. Um, right. And, and you have to always weigh what the consequences might be. Um, Seriously? Yeah. 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 Wow. Solar yeah. shield. Yep. Solar shield. Look or or like um, huh. on, there was an episode of Star Trek where they're experiencing some kind of problem <laughs> with their with their sun. And so or I can't remember what the problem was. But they're, so they're going to release a whole bunch of particulate matter into the atmosphere to cool the planet. And yeah. Um, so there's a theory out there exactly like Spaceballs. Anyway. <laughs> right. So. The plot is definitely simplified. Um, yeah. So the, mm -hmm. the you're not supposed to think too hard about it. Everybody, the, right. the bright lights happen. Don't think about too, too hard about how everybody on the planet got blinded by bright lights because everybody's inside. Yeah, because, because the Earth doesn't cast a shadow. It yeah. rotates super fast. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about it being the Aurora Borealis, right? The Aurora Borealis would be so bright, it, it, it covers the whole... You know, right. both hemispheres, and it would extend northern light seen as, as far long as, as you don't incinerate sense. the atmosphere in the process. Right, which I think you probably would. Well, and, and so Matthew Inman, who makes uh, XKCD, the mm -hmm. online comic, also does a blog called What If, and I sent him that question because he he answers questions like that. Right, yeah, like yeah. what would happen if you threw a, a, a baseball at the speed of light, or right, yeah, what yeah. would happen if all the water on the Earth disappeared at once? Hmm. Um, and they're fabulous reads. Yeah, yeah. So that, I, I want him to cover that. What would happen if you know? If enough solar plasma hit the Earth to supercharge it enough to blind everybody everywhere, what would really happen? And yeah. it would probably be, there would just be this scattering of ash left behind the, right. his, the wake of the plasma. Yeah. It'd be like in uh, Knowing. Did you ever see that one? Nicholas yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed the CGI. I thought the CGI yes. w was really done well. Mm -hmm. um, Especially given that it's not a huge budget. Yeah, it wasn't a huge budget. Uh, I actually enjoyed some of the CGI scenes mm -hmm. once I got over the fact saying, you know, yeah, these are not traditional triffids. These are some other kind of triffids. Oh, they've right? evolved. They've, right? they've, I mean, they've evolved. They've, 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 they've been genetically or... modified. Yeah. So, and they totally, it's totally plausible within the movie that that has happened because we have current technology, right? Yeah. And, and, and what's one of the big scares? Genetic yeah. modification, right? Because yes. Americans are dumb. Right. Yeah. Um, and don't so, understand. I like that. Um, there were things I liked about the movie. Mm -hmm. I, so one thing, let me let me mention one thing that I really liked. I liked the way the, where it, the way it kind of began and they showed the triffid farm. I liked the look of that, where they had them all kind of covered with plastic. They yeah. used electricity to keep them docile. Right. Um, and the cinematography, I mean, the the presentation of everything was beautiful. And the acting was good. Yeah. Uh, Torrance was evil. In fact, yeah, I, I was I thinking him. watching I this, I would love to see Eddie Izzard be in a remake of The Running Man doing Richard Dawson's part. Oh, yeah. Because he, he would rock it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. After that, I think I'm done. Oh, that's all you liked about it? Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I thought, you know, it was a nice production. Uh, if I had never known about the book, I probably would have enjoy enjoyed the movie quite a bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> After okay. that, it goes see, south pretty fast. <laughs> see, I, 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 I'm a big fan of it. I really liked it. Um, and I watched it before I watched the 1981 one, mm -hmm. and, and I liked the, the 2009 one better. Oh, sorry, giving it away. Yeah. Um, but, no, I liked, I liked the different directions that they took while keeping the main sort of what happens when, when we go blind. Not, so it takes away some of the... It, this is all man's fault, right? It, it, the sun is the big <laughs> is, is the problem, <laughs> but but it's not the yeah. big problem, right? It's 
we could probably cope with an outbreak of blindness, right? If there wasn't something there to kill us. Sure. Like the Triffids. And, you know, the Triffids get out because that crackpot, he, he gets locked up, you know, af after right. um, Mason gets stung. Mm -hmm. But then when the power goes out, he or when, when, when everybody goes blind, then he, he gets out and sets the male Triffids free and gets his comeuppance uh, by right. getting killed, which is awesome. Yeah. I found it unusual that there were environmentalists working in tandem all around the world to make this nationwide problem so that there wasn't an international task force of sighted people who could come in and rescue Britain, where it really was the only place that had a, an environmental break-in. Right. So, yeah, this is, the, the, this is one of the problems, right? Because he, he comes to the farm and he's like, wait, the power should not be out yet. And the whole reason the power is out is that guy actually went and pulled the breaker. Right. Um, right. Where it would have failed eventually, I mean, like we've talked about, mm -hmm. like James, we talked about earlier. And so... It's maybe a little implausible that other areas would have the Triffids invade so quickly because right. you didn't have the same, you didn't have the same origin story with them being seeded all over the planet. You had them being cultivated at specific right. places. Now he says there's fifty thousand Triffid farms right. around the globe, and so stands to reason some of them would go down. But yeah, maybe slightly impossible. But it, it didn't occur to me while I was watching it, so I was okay with that. Um, Creature design. I think this is the time we need to talk about the creature design. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the the original film had this great cheesy thing. They looked alien. They had a mouth right. to them. Right. Where you just kind of imagined that the other, that the like the 1980s ones, that they would just root next to the dead body. Right. Like in the book. Like in the book, yeah. Yeah. Um, where in the... In the 62 film, they looked look like they were going to, they just wanted to be kiss, um, <laughs> like a Dementor's kiss. But, right. Um, so in, in the updated one, I like that they stayed sort of true to the kind of flowered hood at the top. And one thing that I really liked about it was you didn't actually get a full view of the Triffid, including the hood and the stinger, until like 80 minutes into the movie. Yeah. So you see the various parts of it. It kind of looks like an aloe plant or a yucca plant. And it kind of has those jagged sort of... Mm triangular leave the long leaves yeah um but you don't actually see that kind of hood on it until almost the end of the first episode because it was two kind of two episodes um and i liked the way it sort of had a it kind of looked like a dementor hood but without the without then the face <laughs> yeah of the, of the dementor um so i liked i definitely liked the creature design i liked the whip the it, it was more like a whiplash kind of or like a yeah i guess a whip yeah, like yeah, a whip. yeah. the hood um, no, the, the, the stinger. Whip, yeah, the, the stinger, stinger within it yeah. looked yeah. like a whip. Where, where in the in the older one, it was sort of like a big cudgel or something like a big mace. Right. Yeah, and yeah. It had little 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 pods and like sacks right. on it, which right. was closer to what the books described, right? Yeah, um, right. The, yeah. There was no like pad, almost right. like a tongue like feature. Yeah, yeah. My um, big beef with modern triffids from two thousand and nine was the tendrils. Because now they're not a stealth hunter anymore. So much they can they can actually go out and attack. And did in right. fact they ate the environmentalist. Yes, right. and, and, and they made more noise. And they made more noise. And, and this was a major plot point because Bill was studying them, trying to decipher what their sounds mean. Right. Um, and it becomes important because there's, there's an unfortunate situation where they meet up with his dad, where I think his dad is dead in the book. Um, but his dad was also right. a Triffid cultivator and, and scientist. Mm -hmm. They have a backstory to Bill Mason where his mother had died in the jungles of Zaire after being stung by a Triffid. The interesting thing is it shows a sequence of her stumbling through the forest with an obvious Triffid sting. And so that, to me, shows the evolution of the Triffid. These wild Triffids... Oh, yeah, maybe. Um, the sting was still fatal, but it took a while for her to die. 
where in the in the new one you died pretty quickly after you got hit. Right. Um, you're so, that they missed that detail just to make it more dramatic. Could be possible, but but they did talk about the how they were bred to be deadlier and and produce these oils, um, kind right. of in his voiceover. The deadly wither, the, the more deadly they are, the better mm-hmm. better yeah. oil. They and produce. so you know, his mom had been trying to understand what the sounds meant as well, and she uh-huh. she thought mm-hmm. we should not exploit these creatures until we understand them better. And then she gets killed, and her dad goes, "Money, yep." Um, <laughs> And and brings him back, you know, and starts cultivating him. Right. But then she gave her son a Walkman with a mixtape on it, just so that he would always remember what the sound of Triffids were like. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, by the way, we just all saw the Guardians of the Galaxy. So. The other right. thing I don't like about modern Triffids is that they climbed trees. Climbed trees. There were Triffids in the trees. Yes, there oh, were. That's yeah. right. Because they That's kind right. of they they jumped down on him in the in the and to to kill that one guy who was a coward. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the other thing? So throughout the movie, there's these flashbacks to his mother dying and this strange tribal mask right. from somebody in Zaire. With slit eyes. Yeah. And, and we're watching this and, and you get every time Bill has any downtime, he's flashing back to this mm-hmm. and he's trying to figure out what it is. And as we're watching it, I'm like, are we ever going to get a payoff for this? Which, of course, we do. Yeah. Um, and it, like it or not, that's... I guess we can talk about that, right? At the end, the same sort of thing happens where Torrance finds them at their their holdout location, right? Where they are, just like he does in the book. It's yeah. just he's he's been the same guy all along. He's not one of several different cadres of people. Right? He's just Torrance. You know, he's he's taken over everything. Um, yeah, he owns the army. He's coming in. There's a great big gun battle. Right. Uh, they're coming to destroy Bill and Josella because he's a threat to their power, mm-hmm. even though they might have found the way to stop. Stop Triffids. Right. And we'll have to talk about that. Um, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. So his dad was working on figuring out a way to sterilize the Triffids. Um, and he had modified a female. All, she, all he needed was a male to reproduce with it, and then it would produce spores that would produce Triffids that were not able to reproduce. Right. Um, and interestingly, there was, and I'll put it in the show notes, there was recently on... Um, the science podcast, which is from Science Magazine, they're talking about sterile mosquitoes to stop the spread of malaria, something like that. Yeah, it was, it was about gene drives, and that, that's what they call it, where they where they hmm. take and they modify certain characteristics to make them not breed true, even if the reproduction is kept uh, oh, wow. active. So, cool. yeah, it's it, a crazy idea. Yeah, yeah, that's, and, that's right. and there's there's all kinds of ethical questions about it because there could be unfortunate consequences. And I thought it's right. totally germane to the discussion about creating triffids or genetically modifying anything. Right, yeah. Um, and so I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can listen to that. I thought it was fascinating. Um, but, yeah, so at the end, he re- he remembers what the deal is with the mask. And and the deal is you can escape from triffids using chemical camouflage. And so you put, you put the mask on and you drip triffid venom down over the top of your eyes, and it makes you evidently smell like a triffid or something. Yeah. It, it's... World War Z completely ripped off the the idea, um, the movie did. Um, <laughs> when I watched that, I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, World War Z totally stole that. Totally, but, yeah. And mm. it's also more like the 1962 movie, where there is a definite end to it, right? We now know how to get past the Trippids. We have a weapon against them. Yeah, I mean, camouflage isn't so much a weapon as a... Just a way to get around them. A way to get around them, yeah. yeah. Um, other than that, the ending, though, is essentially the same, right? They're, we're going to go to the Isle of Wight. Mm-hmm. We're, go- we're going to ride this out and figure out how right. to how to come back from this because he's an expert in triffid biology. He'll figure out what the sounds are and how to repel them or something. Yeah. Or recreate his father's work. Right. Yeah. Um, 
and and he gets all his mother's research or or some recordings anyway like you said right the walkman with mixed mixtape um because he uses that that mp3 player specialized mp3 player with the triffid sounds on it to attract them at one point there's an accident with it where it makes the female triffid that his dad is working on become more aggressive um which is unfortunate because you don't want to kill brian cox it's very sad yeah not like sean bean no yeah sean bean obviously right he's, he's going down <laughs> um well he does die in x-men as well okay so one one thing that i really liked was during that climactic scene with torrance's men trying to fire on the triffids and you know he sends the one guy in and tells him to turn on the electric fence on his on his order right and then the guy mm -hmm. defects over to bill's side um and during that battle you get a wilhelm scream which was awesome oh yeah. so um i didn't mention the um the beadley encampment in this in the 2009 film is are you talking about the religious people yes that's mrs durant beadley is somebody else you are correct. Yes, I meant Durant. But yeah, who is yeah? Who's the character? It's uh, Vanessa Redgrave is the yeah. actor. Yeah, and it's Durant. You're right. Mm -hmm. I, I've been saying uh, Beadley the whole time, and and I meant Durant. What does it remind me of? It, it's I mean, it's been done a ton of times, right? Where you have something, you have a zombie apocalypse or something, and you have mm -hmm. this enclave that is miraculously unharassed. And how are they unharassed? Right, they're unharassed um, because mm -hmm. they give sacrifices. Right. we yeah. pray tribute. Yeah, which I. I kind of dug that actually. Um, I I thought that yeah. was kind of fun. So I, I didn't mind the movie so much, but mm -hmm. I thought it was so radically different from Day of the Triffids in so many ways. I I just can't rank it that high. I don't like it that much. Okay, told and, you. So yeah, it's not like I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you 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 are one of the people who says I would rather see it inspired by rather than based on. I'd rather they just come up with a different name for it altogether because you could have sucked the Triffids out of there. And replaced it with something else, and it'd be exactly the same. They did. It's movie. called Torrance. Day of the Torrance. Yeah, <laughs> Day of the Torrance. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should name the episode. Right. Um, Day of the Torrance. Yeah, but that's a toss-up between Triffid Scream for Ice Cream and Day of the Torrance. Um, <laughs> hmm. I'll, I'll think about that. It's your call. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I disagree. I, obviously, uh, that an adaptation needs to adapt, and and that doesn't mean just directly translate. But it, but adapt and extend. There is a difference. So if you would modernize Day of the Triffids, I think you could have made a 1981 style movie with updated CGI for Triffids. Because, like I said, I thought the CGI was really well done. Keep, you know, give them their knocker so that James is happy. <laughs> and and I, you know, me too. Yeah. Well, for that for that for that all important Triffid beach scene. Yes. Um. um yeah. There was. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, the solar plasma, and there's pieces of airplanes that explode and fly backwards to hit hospitals and all sorts of these odd, wrong things which happen. It's like Explosions do tend to be unidirectional. Uh, yes. And even when there's the initial momentum of the airplane, I don't think you can blow a piece that big backwards. Okay. Uh, let, let's, let's say he was at a right angle to it. We, we could argue that. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so... Argue ballistics theory all day. But... I go back to my, my earlier point, right? You already had the 1981 one. Just updating the CG and changing the actors, there's no reason to do it. Tell that to Lucas. Right. Lucas? Yeah. Oh, you mean to go back and up? Yeah. Well, I would tell that to Lucas. Um, you, you think the special editions are better? I like the special effects better. Yeah. I, I miss seeing the little blocky lines on the TIE fighters in do, Empire right. of the Do I have yes. to say the three words? <laughs> Han shot, shot 
first. Not not according to Lucas. Okay. Apparently, there's enough there's enough uh, film shot to show that it was cut. I think he's full of crap. It's an editing thing. Speaking of how much film there was shot, um, speaking, I, so I was watching the the behind the scenes for the 2009 film. Uh huh. They shot 150 hours of footage for that movie. Whoa! And was it all that it down bad? to three? No, they just wanted to make sure that they had all the scenes that they needed. Dang. And so, so you know, they, there are scenes where they cut from multiple angles and that kind of stuff. Oh but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, they they went above wow. and beyond in trying to make a quality product, and you are admitting it's a quality product. You just don't like yeah. that it's called the Day of the Triffids. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll say it again. You know, I thought the production values were excellent. Mm-hmm. I think that the script and the directing, I would have much rather seen a modernization of the 1981 movie than what they produced and have it called Day of the Triffids. Okay. But that's that's my take on it. Yeah, right? that is your take. I, and and like, I don't want to see uh, a remake of that other one. I thought it did a great job. That doesn't mean I like it, uh, which I don't, but um, I don't need to see that again. I, I wanted to see the story evolve to some extent. I, w- I want... In an adaptation, I want something different. You want more, and I'm happy with the same as. Is that what we're saying? I Well, so you want an adaptation to bring something extra to it in that it just it shows it visually, and that is the something that is enough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If I'm going to listen to an audiobook, I want to hear it read to me. If I'm going to watch a movie, I want to see it shown to me. If you're going to muck with it, you say it's inspired. Inspired by you don't give it the same title. It's like you know I mucked with Day of the Triffids, and here's what I want to show you now. Huh. So as as we draw this to a close, and James is sitting here going, "Am I ever going to get to say anything?" I'm sorry, um, James. Uh, James is moderating. I'm just uh, laughing. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you do your rankings, are you doing them based on how much you enjoyed the films, or a kind of a combination between enjoyment weighed against how faithful they are? Yes. Okay. Enjoyment based on how faithful. Okay. So, like I said, I I could really enjoy that movie, mm-hmm. but uh, and if I if I have never read the book, okay. So I'm doing mine purely on how much I enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. Although I'm also doing them, <laughs> at least just a little bit, uh, to, <laughs> to mess different. with me. Yeah, just to, just to mess with Colin. <laughs> James, like, you need you know, to be much more outspoken. I'm going to like this right. one because there Colin won't. <laughs> so also, I was going to say I think. Colin could also be doing on how much he enjoyed it. It's just the his enjoyment is factored extremely. Or I should say, there's a it's large tight. coefficient yeah. of. Hey, this isn't like the book you suck. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, call I it think... something else. Yes. Okay. There's a very strong. Hey, this isn't like the book you suck coefficient. Yeah. 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 And I actually, I have a long history of that. Mm-hmm. So you know, I did not enjoy the yeah. Star Trek movies that purportedly were made by J.J. Abrams. Wait, what Star Trek movies? Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, I didn't like the original adaptation of It by Stephen King done by CBS. Oh, okay. Uh, I haven't seen it. You know, because I was excited to see, you know, this is the author's vision visualized, and it was significantly different in some places. And so while Tim Curry kicked butt. Okay, so the way you said that is interesting because it's an old It's not the author's vision, right? It should be the author's vision. No, it shouldn't. It's an adaptation. How many audiobooks do you read that have been adapted? Audiobooks are not adapted. They're unabridged audio productions. But it's a different medium. There, you should be able to bring something to it, which extends it. In okay, an, and then, then, then what you're getting into is a radio play, which is an adaptation. So I can't do a direct-to-CD uh, radio play? Direct-to-CD. Yeah. Why do I have to have a radio play on the radio? No, 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 no. No, radio play meaning the kind of production it is, where you have a multi-voiced cast. It's not, you're not reading the prose. You're speaking the parts like a stage play on the radio. So that's an adaptation of it, right? You're, you're pulling out most of the narration of it. Um, 
where an audiobook is just reading what's on the page. That's yeah, not but an adaptation. Even, even the act of just reading on the page, you're the the person doing the reading can change it. There's performance, but it's still not, not an adaptation. It's bull it's, crap. No, it's an unabridged <laughs> audio production. Nope. It's if still an adaptation. How? Because the person can change it as they're reading it. Just the intonation, any accent that might be different than what you may have thought it sounded like. Uh, any of that. I don't think that fits with the word adapt. Because if you're keeping it's the words exactly to a different the same, medium. it's not an adaptation. But it is, it's you're putting it in a new medium, medium, and that's an adaptation. It's a translation. I don't know. I, I, th I think we disagree fundamentally on what adaptation means. I think you're right. Because, I would agree with you there. Because adapt means change. It is being changed from book to From CD. one medium to another. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Or book All right. Here, here's this then. If you, you know if, what the problem is? Is that he's actually right, <laughs> and we don't want to admit that he's right. Because I, I'm willing to bet that if we spoke to somebody in the business, they would say, like, you, you two guys, you're so full of it. <laughs> Do you really think we want to readapt these old things just because we, they're there? Right. I mean, we, you have to change them, otherwise they're bad. Okay. And then, then we start showing things like the day the earth stood still and all the bad adaptations right. and remakes and yes. say, like, no, you failed here because you were not faithful to the original vision anymore. Right. Well, so that's what, that's where Seth's, on that basis, that's where Seth's argument has merit in that there, there are certain films that are based on old books that, that get changed in a very good way. And they become way. better. Yeah. Yes. yes. And definitely. an excellent example of that for me is Jurassic Park. Yeah. Right. But you didn't agree with that at the time. Or probably still don't. But No, no. no I, I like mean, the book better. Than yeah, the yeah. movie. Absolutely. Which yeah. you guys argue about. You yes. said it was better because they took it and they improved on it. And I'm like, yeah, right. well, no, they took it and they took the stuff out of it and they made a great movie out of it, but yeah, I still yeah. like the book better. Sure. Um, no, so back to the audiobook thing. Okay. And, and uh, oh. I, I, I'm heartened <laughs> to know that you at least think I have something uh, <laughs> something correct, some, some grain of correct in there. Um, so on some devices, you can have your device read it to you, right? Sure. That, that's not an audiobook, right? No. That, and, and that's not an adaptation in any way. Where there's certainly more merit to an actual audio production because you have somebody putting some acting into it, right? Um, but see, that's that's the difference between a screenplay adaptation of a book is something that is fundamentally changed. The acting is something completely different. And so on the audio book, the acting is something completely different. The, the actual content of it is still the same. So... And I, that's why I don't consider an audiobook an adaptation because the content is the same. Even if it's slightly changed right. in the acting of it, that's like, for instance, if you took a movie and you took a screenplay and you shot it with two different directors, you would come up with two different things, right? Sure. Um, and they would be different than the book. So you'd have kind of two levels of adaptation. Maybe that's what it is. I, I'm looking at it as you guys are, are seeing audiobook as one level of adaptation. Mm -hmm. Film is more than one level. Because it's visual it's multiple and levels that you could make changes to it. Right. So the acting you, is you've one changed thing. The, you've changed the story on a, on a written level, just with screenplay. Right. And then you, you change it more by who you have acting what role. Yeah. And, and what, what do they bring to the table? Mm -hmm. Can be completely different depending on the actor. Yeah. And which would definitely hinge on whether or not you hate a movie. Right. For sure. Uh, and we're directors. In, I, think, and I think we're in the weeds. <laughs> we, yeah, we took a left turn. Well, yeah, you know, this is the end of the season, right? We got to go out with a bang. Right. <laughs> Maybe this is a two-part episode. Yeah. This is the end of season one, right. and it never ends. <laughs> um, no, no, it needs to be a two-part episode. There we go. Yes, two we need to, we need to come back and, and do the the adaptation argument again. Oh, I think yeah. I mean, we've been continuously arguing oh, yeah. the adaptation it's been evolving. argument. Yes. Um, yeah.
Um, no, I, I mean, it was an interesting, interesting discussion. Yeah. I, I, I like the well, I like the conclusion audiobooks. you just came to, though. That, was that there's more than one level of adaptation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never thought right. about that way yeah. before. Okay. I think we're about wrapped. Right. <laughs> we better be. <laughs> well, so yeah, we need to do rankings. <laughs> yes. And then you're yes. all going to try and guess my yes. rankings. Oh, right. okay. so, and then you can try and guess mine. Okay. And, I, and, I, and I, bet, I bet you'll Let's be better see. on mine than, uh, than I was. Okay. So we've, we've joked uh, that, that we can read Colin's mind about, <laughs> about what he's going to like. And in fact, I think you texted me, James. I think I James did. texted me and said... I texted you as I was watching the yeah, 2009 Colin is series. not going to like the 2009 film. <laughs> and, uh, okay. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to go around the table, start with James and then me, and all then right. Colin will confirm if either of us is correct about the placement. We're just doing his ranking one at a time. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, you so what's his, in your number one slot for Colin's ranking? As in the thing he liked the best. Yes. Yes. The book. Okay. I will also say book. Book. Yes. Okay. Good job, guys. All right. All right. And slot number two. Number two. To go with the eighties uh, miniseries. Okay. I'm also going with the eighties. You are correct. Okay. All right. Number three. See, this is where I get tricky. This is tricky. I'm gonna have to go with the 1962 film. Uh, see, that's also what I had written down, and here's I want to I want to put because it tried to be faithful but right. failed badly. But since we're but it, this it, way, it, so we're it's, not unanimous. It's, it's the lesser of two evils, though. Okay, I, I think is from a from a call-in perspective with the calling coefficient, the 2009 <laughs> miniseries is worse than yeah. the 1962 film. Yeah, but in our discussion here, I I don't think that we've established that it really tried to be faithful, and so I'm going to dock that one, and I'm going to say 2009 film for third place. 2009 film. Woo! Yes. It was, a, really? it was a superior movie. Oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah, at some point, if you have a certain level, level of screwed upness in the, in the adaptation of it, I think you're going right. to have to, then your enjoyment of it, that's why I asked earlier, <laughs> <laughs> was how, you, how you're doing it. Um, though, I have to admit, oh, I wrote down point. 1962 film. So, I changed it on the fly. That's why I was going to have us write them down right. on a notepad. <laughs> yeah. Um, because and I told you that I like the film. Right. If you yeah, if if you want to see a good a good movie, watch it. Right. Just don't ever read the book because then you'll be spoiled. You'll be ruined. Um, <laughs> no, unless no, no. you read okay. the book second, in which case you say, "Wow, this is so much better than the movie." I okay. wish they'd made a movie like this book with <laughs> modern right. special effects in today's time. <laughs> one more, one more addendum, one more addendum to to the continuous argument that we have. The nice thing about the 2009 film, the great thing about it, is you can watch that film, you can enjoy it for what it is, and you can read the book and enjoy it for what it is. And you gained something by reading. If you watch that 1981 film and then read the book, there's no surprises. It's, it's exactly the same. The only, thing, the only benefit you get is the prose is outstanding. So I would still say, having watched the 1981 miniseries, it's still worthwhile to read the book. But it's much more worthwhile to read a book if you've seen a movie that isn't terribly faithful to it. I'm not sure that I completely agree with you, but no. I think that can be a very valid point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that could be a very valid point in bent, some universe. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay. I can understand your perspective. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that was a nice way of saying that. Because <laughs> now he doesn't have to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so we had Colin's rankings. and so just, just, rankings. No, just, just to repeat, uh, Colin, it was book. 81. It was 81. 09. 63. 62. Yeah. Different sources put it with a different production date. Um, I, think, I think it yeah. came out in 62 in Britain and 63 in the U.S. Oh. I'm not sure. I was going to guess um, made in 62, released in 63. That could but be. Same thing as well. So, all right, James. Ranking. Um, the same as Colin, actually. Really? What? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oddly enough. So actually, why, why did you not like the 2009 uh, miniseries as much as the book? What, what was different from it? What was different? Well, what detracted yeah, I, from I it? I found the 2009 miniseries slightly campy. 
I don't like. I do not like campy things. Campy. Yeah. Hmm. Give me an example of campiness. I thought the CG was kind of low budget. I didn't really like it that much. Oh, I yeah. found the practical <laughs> effects in the eighty-one far superior. Okay, so I I would say. The Triffid effects were really good, but there were a few yeah. other places where the green screen was not very good right. in, the, in the 2009 one. Yeah. And so, yeah, some, some of the effects I thought were, were lacking. It's very but the important it's, it's ones TV CG. I don't, I'm not a big fan of TV yeah, CG. Yeah, it looked a little like Doctor Who, right? Yeah. Um, which I'm not a huge fan of. Right. I, I, I've seen two episodes. Maybe three. It's <laughs> more than I have. Yeah. Don't crucify him, people. It's okay he doesn't like Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know what? I think I put... So I can think of several people that would hate you for saying that. <laughs> is that the only thing that you I didn't like the the, the f- incredible amount of change the 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 plane and the Torrance was the kind plane. of like yeah. seriously like he wasn't I eh. I liked Eddie Izzard but I didn't like the character in the story I suppose well you're not supposed to like him yeah no no yeah, no, no not that I love to hate right? no not that I didn't not like on a personal level the oh. character I didn't just I didn't like the character in the story at all Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, hmm, yeah. Yeah, I liked him. Yeah. So that, that was, and you know, I like, I like something that makes changes and still right. makes a good movie out of it. Um, so that's why. Okay. So my rankings. Did I ever? I never wrote them down. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna have to go book first. Right. And then I go, I go 2009, and then. Then you have a toss up. I do have a toss up. Um, really, you would put the book in the 81 movie almost at the same level, wouldn't you? No, no, I put the book as far superior to the 1981 film. Because it never brings anything to the plate. Right, yeah, because I, I don't feel like we got much out of the 1981 version. So sure. so I go book, and then I like the 2009 film because I like that it's a different take on it, that it modernized a bunch of stuff, even though some of it was questionable science. Right. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, I think I've, I've got I've to gotta favor the 1981 over the 1962 just because... <laughs> The failure is an execution, and that, right. that's the thing. Like, if, if a few things had been changed, if the plot lines had converged at any point in the 1962 film, I might have liked it better, Maybe. though I still think just the weakness of the fact that I didn't really care for the protagonist, um, that's, that's why I got to rank it last, which is a shame because this is the right. one, you know, that I remembered. Um, yeah. But sometimes, you know, nostalgia only goes so far. Right. So. I get, uh, back to your question, Colin, about the, what did I like better about the book in the movie, uh, 2009 series. I like uh-huh. the story in the book better. I thought the story was a bit different in the 2009 film, and I liked the story in the book better. Yeah, yeah, but he was asking 1981 to 2009. No, he wasn't. He was it's asking me about thing. the book, oh, which no, is yeah, kind of the no, same. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. The story is the same, but you, I don't think... Well, okay. okay, well, if I'm going to answer that question, I, so uh, I, I, I like I practical would, effects better. Okay, um, there we go. I liked, the, I, liked, well, I liked how they did the narrative uh-huh. with the... Bill recalling his past and, and the tape recorder. Yeah, I thought the tape was recorder. Awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, I I did not find the the problems, same problems as you did with it. I guess mm-hmm. the yeah, theater yeah. production ish type, yeah. uh, all that stuff. I yeah. didn't think that was bad. I didn't think the audio was bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I I liked how it had the same. Basically, because I liked the Triffid story, the book story, yeah, and the movie story is the same. I liked the story, so I enjoyed the movie because I liked the story. Okay. Um, yeah, and see, that's where that's where I differ, right? Because I'd say right. I'd say you're you're not favoring the story of the 1981 right. film or, or series over the 2009. You're favoring the book story, which is the same. Um, that's not the same. Uh, that's my point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think I think we are destined to uh, to do this forever. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I don't I don't mind people making direct adaptations from book to a movie if it's good adaptation. Sure. 
Um, they don't need to add anything to it if they, if it makes sense not to. Yeah. If it makes sense to do it, go for it. Um, but I, I just enjoy seeing how things are recreated or re, re adapted from book to movie just to see yeah, what yeah. they did, how they did it. Sure. It, and it's I will fun agree to watch movies. It's fun to read books. So. The the practical effects are one of the main highlights, yeah. I think, of the 1981 film. I mean, they're nothing spectacular, but I but I did really like them. Yeah. And I liked that's one thing I commented to my dad in the 2009 one. I was like, mm-hmm. they got they used CG and they still kept them nice and cheesy. Right. So yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I think that's pretty much a wrap for I the day of the Triffids. Right. Yes. Uh, what are we at in raw time now? Two hours. Wow. No, we're not totally done, though, Colin. We can't go anywhere. So as we come to the, uh, the end of season one, um, we want to invite you to get a hold of us. Let us know you're out there. Um, we're planning on coming back for season two. Uh, however, if nobody's out there listening to it, it's still pretty enjoyable for us to do. Um, right. But we might switch up our cadence and maybe not do it quite so often as we did season one, um, which it's not like we did a weekly cadence or anything. So No. But there's still... There's still a certain amount of time involved and it would be rewarding to know if there's somebody out there enjoying it. So if you are out there, we invite you to go up to pavementpodcast.com and find us through the contact, contact us page. Um, there's a contact form there. There's an email link, which is feedback at pavementpodcast.com or you can find us. We have all our social media stuff there and it's all pavement podcast. So <coughs> facebook.com slash pavement podcast or at pavement podcast on Twitter and let us know what you think. Um, I think we've certainly uh, come a long way from the beginning. Um, we've had our ups and downs with uh, somebody <laughs> forgetting to plug in their microphone and, uh, and forgetting to turn the mixer on as the as the recording right. source when we did Jurassic Park. <sighs> um, and uh, yeah, I think we kind of went out with a bang here. So as we're moving towards season two, we've we've all talked about one thing that we'd all like to do, and so let's talk about what we're going to do, and then we'll we'll figure out what order we actually want to do. Um, I think we had previously committed to do the one that Colin wants to do first, so. What I is your so. selection? I want to do Enemy Mine. Yes. And that one's in that uh, real future book that we have, right? And uh, based on a, like a novella, right? Right. It's about 30 pages long. If I remember right, the author is Barry Longyear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the 1985 or 6 movie yeah, starring more. Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah. And not, mon- not many other people. We, um, Colin has been working on graphing everything that we've been we've been doing and finding a hole in our discussions where we don't have anything from like the mid 90s right um there seems to be a black hole in adapted science fiction at that point so but james's gets a little closer to that his selection true mine was um total recall yes yes which is we, we can, can remember, remember for you wholesale, wholesale by philip k dick and yeah. it's been adapted twice which is nice that, mm-hmm. that gives us uh you know enemy mine is a nice easy one to start with because just 30 pages in the one movie yep. and then move on to Total Recall. Total Recall. One, one story. Very short story. Two movies. And two movies. And then we move on to mine, which is Invasion <laughs> of the Body Snatchers, which has been adapted no less than four times and yes. is a full-length novel. So I think Brilliant. if we do that one, the earliest it will be done is the third episode of season two. Right. Um, because <laughs> we've we got to get James drunk so he can read the book. Twist my arm. Yeah. But after that, you know, the schedule is somewhat open. There, there's things that we definitely still want to do in the queue that we have up there, and that's another reason why I would invite you to go up to the website and look at the queue and post a comment there if you want or shoot us an email. Let us know if there's something missing on the list. We can definitely add it. I would like to, in Season 2, focus more on getting some films in from the 50s and 60s. Cool. Um, or 70s at the latest, you know. Seems like we when we originally started, our idea was to do... Right. 50s, 60s, 70s. I'm going to go ahead and throw the thing out there. 
because that was an awesome movie. The thing, yes. I did. We want to do the thing over Halloween. Yeah, but then you wanted to do Frankenstein over Halloween. No, let's not. Let's not do Frankenstein. I mean, how many adaptations of that are there? That's right. We'd have to pick and choose. Or our, our, you know, many, many listeners, Emily, would help us pick and choose which ones. (laughs) Yeah. The reason I, the reason why I'm actually pretty stoked about the thing Mm -hmm. is because I have not seen the Kurt Russell film. Right. I've only seen the really, really new one. Which was with Kurt, guy Kate Beckinsale and oh, like the prequel whatever. one, yeah, right, yeah, and the 1951 film, black and white, all in all its oh, glory. Awesome. I've only seen those two. Yeah, if we're gonna do the thing at Halloween, yeah. that's gonna that's gonna bust in on our order that we're gonna do because we're mm. we're probably gonna start back up in September. Um, right. So, yeah, that that may it may yeah. move its way up the queue, and I don't object to that because I, I like I the fact could that there's at the least thing two with movies. Total Recall. Or replace Aww. Little Rico with the thing. I mean. Yeah, now, I, I would hold back the enemy <laughs> mind because this is what I think would work. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're on a hiatus, mm-hmm. I think we have a lot of time to read that great big novel or to share it between True. us if we have to get multiple copies of it. Hillsborough Public Library has, or not Hillsborough, but the Washington County Libraries have three copies of The Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Great. So, and I was thinking of buying it. There's an ebook available. So, Ooh, okay. I think it's eight or nine dollars. Yeah. So. so, if it's going to take us a while, let's let's just do the reading during the hiatus and not have to worry yeah. about reading and watching and talking and discussing and then podcasting. So we can have a leisurely right. read or a reread. Right. Yeah. I mean, my my idea was we'd be kind of in in our cadence normally. We'd be doing short mm-hmm. story, short story, book, short story, short story, book. So the idea well, is you could book, be reading. Short story, short story. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Start off with your book, dude, and then do Enemy Mine, and then... Uh, yeah, we could do that. And and in the meantime, yeah. while we're reading short stories, we could also be starting on the next novel. Okay. Um, right. I think I think we're just about ready to get out of here, because yep. <laughs> for for those listening at home, we actually had to start a new project, because we ran out of space, or ran out of uh, uh, the what, total file size, file right? size for, for GarageBand, yes. um, which is awesome. Yeah, that means we don't have, I'm going to be getting a text from my wife here. Soon going, why have you been podcasting for three hours? Because right. um, I had to beat Colin into submission. I, <laughs> <laughs> I will be very curious to see right. the resulting length of this. It's got to mm. go two It'd hours, interesting. I think. We can't put it's a good a season finale. No one will listen to it. I listen to plenty of two-hour podcasts. One and a half speed. Uh, anything else? Any, any other housekeeping before we end the season? No. Give us a blessing. Yep. Yeah. All right. So we will be back. And in the meantime, we will hope to uh, get out and pound the pavement. A little bit, and read some books and watch some movies, and we will come back stronger in season two. And hopefully, our first episode of season two will be shorter than this one. <laughs> this was what this was is it was a two part cliffhanger combined right. into one episode. That's right. So uh, <laughs> went out with a bang. All right. Well, um, thank you everybody for listening. If you're out there, and if you're out there, shoot us an email or like us on Facebook. Uh, we'd love that. Love to hear from you. Let us know you're out there and. Until next season, which is probably sometime in September, may the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always fall open to where you left off. Bye. And and you probably think, just somewhere in the corner of your mind, Seth picks these just to spite me. Yes, probably. <laughs> not not getting busy. Um, so. Well, maybe not for you. <laughs> Nice. Um, we may not even be able to upload this after you edit it. It's so big. Nah. That's what she's in. <laughs> and there we are. I think that's the perfect place to stop. <laughs>